Chapter 17 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter 17 Just Like a Book. John Pendleton greeted Pollyanna today with a smile. Well, Miss Pollyanna. I'm thinking you must be a very forgiving little person, else you wouldn't have come to see me again today. Why, Mr. Pendleton, I was real glad to come, and I'm sure I don't see why I shouldn't be either. Oh, well, you know I was pretty cross with you, I'm afraid, both the other day when you so kindly brought me the jelly and that time when you found me with the broken leg at first. By the way, too, I don't think I've ever thanked you for that. Now I'm sure that even you would admit that you were very forgiving to come and see me, after such ungrateful treatment as that. Pollyanna stirred uneasily. But I was glad to find you. That is, I don't mean I was glad your leg was broken, of course. She corrected hurriedly. John Pendleton smiled. I understand. Your tongue does get away with you once in a while, doesn't it, Miss Pollyanna? I do thank you, however, and I consider you a very brave little girl to do what you did that day. I thank you for the jelly, too. He added in a lighter voice. Did you like it? asked Pollyanna with interest. Very much. I suppose there isn't any more today that uh, that Aunt Polly didn't send, is there? He asked with an odd smile. His visitor looked distressed. No, sir. She hesitated, then went on with heightened color. Please, Mr. Pendleton... I didn't mean to be rude the other day when I said Aunt Polly did not send the jelly. There was no answer. John Pendleton was not smiling now. He was looking straight ahead of him, with eyes that seemed to be gazing through and beyond the object before them. After a time he drew a long sigh and turned to Pollyanna. When he spoke, his voice carried the old, nervous fretfulness. Well, well, this will never do at all. I didn't send for you to see me moping this time. Listen, out in the library, the big room where the telephone is, you know, you will find a carved box on the lower shelf of the big case with glass doors in the corner not far from the fireplace. That is, it'll be there if that confounded woman hasn't regulated it to somewhere else. You may bring it to me. It is heavy, but not too heavy for you to carry, I think. Oh, I'm awfully strong, declared Pollyanna cheerfully as she sprang to her feet. In a minute, she had returned with the box. It was a wonderful half hour that Pollyanna spent then. The box was full of treasures, curios that John Pendleton had picked up in years of travel, and concerning each there was some entertaining story, 
whether it were a set of exquisitely carved chessmen from China or a little jade idol from India. It was after she had heard the story about the idol that Pollyanna murmured wistfully, Well, I suppose it would be better to take a little boy in India to bring up, one that didn't know any more than to think that God was in that doll thing, than it would be to take Jimmy Bean, a little boy who knows God is up in the sky. Still, I can't help wishing they had wanted Jimmy Bean too, besides the India boys. John Pendleton did not seem to hear. Again, his eyes were staring straight before him, looking at nothing. But soon he had roused himself and had picked up another curio to talk about. The visit, certainly, was a delightful one. But before it was over, Pollyanna was realizing that they were talking about something besides the wonderful things in the beautiful carved box. They were talking of herself, of Nancy, of Aunt Polly, and of her daily life. They were talking, too, even of the life and home long ago in the far western town. Not until it was nearly time for her to go did the man say, in a voice Pollyanna had never before heard from stern John Pendleton, "'Little girl, I want you to come to see me often. Will you? I'm lonesome, and I need you. There's another reason, and I'm going to tell you that, too. I thought at first, after I found out who you were the other day, that I didn't want you to come any more. You reminded me of... of something I have tried for long years to forget. So I said to myself that I never wanted to see you again. And every day when the doctor asked if I wouldn't let him bring you to me, I said no. But after a time, I found I was wanting to see you so much that, that the fact that I wasn't seeing you was making me remember all the more vividly the thing I was so wanting to forget. So now I want you to come. Will you, little girl? Why, yes, Mr. Pendleton, breathed Pollyanna, her eyes luminous with sympathy for the sad-faced man lying back on the pillow before her. I'd love to come. Thank you, said John Pendleton gently. After supper that evening, Pollyanna, sitting on the back porch, told Nancy all about Mr. John Pendleton's wonderful carved box and the still more wonderful things it contained. And to think, sighed Nancy, that he showed you all them things and told you about em like that. Him that's so cross he never talks to no one. No one. Oh, but he isn't cross, Nancy. Only outside, demurred Pollyanna with quick loyalty. I don't see why everybody thinks he's so bad, either. They wouldn't if they knew him. But even Aunt Polly doesn't like him very well, 
She wouldn't send the jelly to him, you know, and she was so afraid he'd think she did send it. Probably she didn't call him no duty, shrugged Nancy. But what beats me is how he happened to take to you so, Miss Pollyanna. Meaning no offense to you, of course, but he ain't the sort of man what generally takes to kids. He ain't, he ain't. Pollyanna smiled happily. But he did, Nancy, she nodded. Only, I reckon even he didn't want to. All the time. Why, only today he owned up that one time he just felt he never wanted to see me again, because I reminded him of something he wanted to forget. But afterwards, what's that? Interrupted Nancy excitedly. He said you reminded him of something he wanted to forget? Yes, but afterwards, what was it? Nancy was eagerly insistent. He didn't tell me. He just said it was something. The mystery, breathed Nancy in an awestruck voice. That's why he took to you in the first place. Oh, Miss Pollyanna. Why, that's just like a book. I've read lots of them. Lady Maud's Secret and The Lost Heir and Hidden for Years. All of them had mysteries and things just like this. My stars and stockings. Just think of having a book lived right under your nose like this and me not knowing it all this time. Now tell me everything. Everything he said, Miss Pollyanna, there's a dear. No wonder he took to you. No wonder, no wonder. But he didn't, cried Pollyanna. Not till I talked to him first, and he didn't even know who I was till I took the calf's foot jelly and had to make him understand that Aunt Polly didn't send it, and... Nancy sprang to her feet and clasped her hands together suddenly. Oh, Miss Pollyanna, I know, I know, I know, I know, she exulted rapturously. The next minute she was down at Pollyanna's side again. Tell me, now think, an answer straight and true, she urged excitedly. It was after he found out you was Miss Polly's niece that he said he didn't ever want to see you again, wasn't it? Oh, yes. I told him that the last time I saw him, and he told me this today. I thought as much, triumphed Nancy. And Miss Polly wouldn't send the jelly herself, would she? No. And you told him she didn't send it? Why, yes, I... And he began to act queer and cry out sudden after he found out you was her niece. He did that, didn't he? Why, yes. He did act a little queer over that jelly, admitted Pollyanna with a thoughtful frown. Nancy drew a long sigh. Then I've got it sure. Now listen. Mr. John Pendleton was Miss Polly Harrington's lover, she announced impressively, but with a furtive glance over her shoulder. Why, Nancy, he couldn't be. She doesn't like him objected Pollyanna. Nancy gave her a scornful glance. Of course she don't, 
That's the quarrel. Pollyanna still looked incredulous. And with another long breath, Nancy happily settled herself to tell the story. It's like this. Just before you come, Mr. Tom told me Miss Polly had had a lover once. I didn't believe it. I couldn't. Her and a lover? But Mr. Tom said she had and that he was living now right in this town. And now I know, of course, it's John Pendleton. Ain't he got a mystery in his life? Don't he shut himself up in that grand house alone and never speak to no one? Didn't he act queer when he found out you was Miss Polly's niece? And now, ain't he owned up that you remind him of something he wants to forget? Just as if anybody couldn't see twas Miss Polly. And her saying she wouldn't send him no jelly too. Why, Miss Pollyanna, it's as plain as the nose on your face it is, it is. Oh, breathed Pollyanna in wide-eyed amazement. But Nancy, I should think if they loved each other, they'd make up some time. Both of them all alone so? All these years? I should think they'd be glad to make up. Nancy sniffed disdainfully. I guess maybe you don't know much about lovers, Miss Pollyanna. You ain't big enough yet, anyhow. But if there is a set of folks in the world that wouldn't have no use for that air glad game of yourn, it'd be a pair of quarreling lovers. And that's what they be. Ain't he cross as sticks most generally? And ain't she? Nancy stopped abruptly, remembering just in time to whom and about whom she was speaking. Suddenly, however, she chuckled. I ain't saying, though, Miss Pollyanna, but what it would be a pretty slick piece of business if you could get em to play in it, so they would be glad to make up. But my land, wouldn't folks stare some? Miss Polly and him. I guess, though, there ain't much chance, much chance. Pollyanna said nothing. But when she went into the house a little later, her face was very thoughtful. End of chapter 17 Recording by The Story Girl Chapter 18 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl Chapter 18 Prisms As the warm August days passed, Pollyanna went very frequently to the great house on Pendleton Hill. She did not feel, however, that her visits were really a success. Not what but the man seemed to want her there. He sent for her, indeed, frequently. But that when she was there, he seemed scarcely any the happier for her presence. At least, so Pollyanna thought. He talked to her, it was true, and he showed her many strange and beautiful things. Books, pictures, and curios. But he still fretted audibly over his own helplessness, 
and he chafed visibly under the rules and regulatings of the unwelcome members of his household. He did indeed seem to like to hear Pollyanna talk, however, and Pollyanna talked. Pollyanna liked to talk. But she was never sure that she would not look up and find him lying back on his pillow with that white, hurt look that always pained her. And she was never sure which, if any, of her words had brought it there. As for telling him the glad game and trying to get him to play it, Pollyanna had never seen the time yet when she thought he would care to hear about it. She had twice tried to tell him, but neither time had she got beyond the beginning of what her father had said. John Pendleton had on each occasion turned the conversation abruptly to another subject. Pollyanna never doubted now that John Pendleton was her Aunt Polly's one-time lover. And with all the strength of her loving, loyal heart, she wished she could in some way bring happiness into their, to her mind, miserably lonely lives. Just how she was to do this, however, she could not see. She talked to Mr. Pendleton about her aunt, and he listened, sometimes politely, sometimes irritably, frequently with a quizzical smile on his usually stern lips. She talked to her aunt about Mr. Pendleton. Or rather, she tried to talk to her about him. As a general thing, however, Miss Polly would not listen. Long. She always found something else to talk about. She frequently did that, however, when Pollyanna was talking of others. Dr. Chilton, for instance. Pollyanna laid this, though, to the fact that it had been Dr. Chilton who had seen her in the sun parlor with the rose in her hair and the lace shawl draped about her shoulders. Aunt Polly indeed seemed particularly bitter against Dr. Chilton, as Pollyanna found out one day when a hard cold shut her up in the house. "'If you are not better by night, I shall send for the doctor,' Aunt Polly said." "'Shall you? Then I'm going to get worse,' gurgled Pollyanna. "'I'd love to have Dr. Chilton come to see me.' She wondered then at the look that came to her aunt's face. "'It will not be Dr. Chilton, Pollyanna,' Miss Polly said sternly. "'Dr. Chilton is not our family physician. "'I shall send for Dr. Warren, if you are worse.' Pollyanna did not grow worse, however, and Dr. Warren was not summoned. "'And I'm so glad, too,' Pollyanna said to her aunt that evening. "'Of course, I like Dr. Warren and all that, but I like Dr. Chilton better, and I'm afraid he'd feel hurt if I didn't have him. You see, he wasn't really to blame, after all, that he happened to see you when I dressed you up so pretty that day, Aunt Polly.' she finished wistfully. That will do, Pollyanna. I really do not wish to discuss Dr. Chilton or his feelings, reproved Miss Polly decisively. Pollyanna looked at her for a moment with mournfully interested eyes. Then she sighed. 
I just love to see you when your cheeks are pink like that, Aunt Polly. But I would so like to fix your hair if, why, Aunt Polly? But her aunt was already out of sight down the hall. It was toward the end of August that Pollyanna, making an early morning call on John Pendleton, found the flaming band of blue and gold and green edged with red and violet lying across his pillow. She stopped short in awed delight. Why, Mr. Pendleton, it's a baby rainbow. A real rainbow come in to pay you a visit, she exclaimed, clapping her hands together softly. Oh, 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 how pretty it is. But how did it get in? She cried. The man laughed a little grimly. John Pendleton was particularly out of sorts with the world this morning. Well, I suppose it got in through the beveled edge of that glass thermometer in the window, he said wearily. The sun shouldn't strike it at all, but it does in the morning. Oh, but it's so pretty, Mr. Pendleton. And does just the sun do that? My, if it was mine, I'd have it hang in the sun all day long. Lots of good you'd get out of the thermometer, then, laughed the man. How do you suppose you could tell how hot it was, or how cold it was, if the thermometer hung in the sun all day? I shouldn't care, breathed Pollyanna, her fascinated eyes on the brilliant band of colors across the pillow. Just as if anybody'd care when they were living all the time in a rainbow. The man laughed. He was watching Pollyanna's rapt face a little curiously. Suddenly, a new thought came to him. He touched the bell at his side. Nora, he said when the elderly maid appeared at the door, bring me one of the big brass candlesticks from the mantel in the front drawing room. Yes, sir, murmured the woman, looking slightly dazed. In a minute she had returned. A musical tinkling entered the room with her as she advanced wonderingly toward the bed. It came from the prism pendants encircling the old-fashioned candelabrum in her hand. Thank you. You may set it here on the stand, directed the man. Now get a string and fasten it to the sash curtain fixtures of that window there. Take down the sash curtain and let the string reach straight across the window from side to side. That will be all. Thank you, he said when she had carried out his directions. As she left the room, he turned smiling eyes toward the wondering Pollyanna. Bring me the candlestick now, please, Pollyanna. With both hands she brought it, and in a moment... He was slipping off the pendants, one by one, until they lay, a round dozen of them, side by side on the bed. Now, my dear, suppose you take them and hook them to that little string Nora fixed across the window. If you really want to live in a rainbow, 
I don't see, but we'll have to have a rainbow for you to live in. Pollyanna had not hung up three of the pendants in the sunlit window before she saw a little of what was going to happen. She was so excited then she could scarcely control her shaking fingers enough to hang up the rest. But at last her task was finished, and she stepped back with a low cry of delight. It had become a fairyland, that sumptuous but dreary bedroom. Everywhere were bits of dancing red and green, violet and orange, gold and blue. The wall, the floor, and the furniture, even to the bed itself, were aflame with shimmering bits of color. Oh, 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 how lovely, breathed Pollyanna. Then she laughed suddenly. I just reckon the sun himself is trying to play the game now, don't you? She cried, forgetting for the moment that Mr. Pendleton could not know what she was talking about. Oh, how I wish I had a lot of those things. How I would like to give them to Aunt Polly and Mrs. Snow and lots of folks. I reckon then they'd be glad, all right. Why, I think even Aunt Polly'd get so glad she couldn't help banging doors if she lived in a rainbow like that. Don't you? Mr. Pendleton laughed. Well, from my remembrance of your aunt, Miss Pollyanna, I must say I think it would take something more than a few prisms in the sunlight to, to make her bang many doors for gladness. But come now, really, what do you mean? Pollyanna stared slightly. Then she drew a long breath. Oh, I forgot. You don't know about the game. I remember now. Suppose you tell me, then. And this time, Pollyanna told him. She told him the whole thing from the very first, from the crutches that should have been a doll. As she talked, she did not look at his face. Her rapt eyes were still on the dancing flecks of color from the prism pendants swaying in the sunlit window. And that's all she sighed when she had finished. And now you know why I said the sun was trying to play it. That game. For a moment, there was silence. Then a low voice from the bed said unsteadily, Perhaps. But I'm thinking that the very finest prism of them all is yourself, Pollyanna. Oh, but I don't show beautiful red and green and purple when the sun shines through me, Mr. Pendleton. Don't you? smiled the man. And Pollyanna, looking into his face, wondered why there were tears in his eyes. No, she said. Then after a minute, she added mournfully, I'm afraid, Mr. Pendleton... The sun doesn't make anything but freckles out of me. Aunt Polly says it does make them. The man laughed a little, and again Pollyanna looked at him. 
the laugh had sounded almost like a sob. End of chapter 18 Recording by The Story Girl Chapter 19 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl Chapter 19 Which is somewhat surprising. Pollyanna entered school in September. Preliminary examinations showed that she was well advanced for a girl of her years, and she was soon a happy member of a class of girls and boys her own age. School, in some ways, was a surprise to Pollyanna, and Pollyanna certainly, in many ways, was very much of a surprise to school. They were soon on the best of terms, however, and to her aunt, Pollyanna confessed that going to school was living after all, though she had had her doubts before. In spite of her delight in her new work, Pollyanna did not forget her old friends. True, she could not give them quite so much time now, of course, but she gave them what time she could. Perhaps John Pendleton of them all, however, was the most dissatisfied. One Saturday afternoon, he spoke to her about it. See here, Pollyanna. How would you like to come and live with me? He asked, a little impatiently. I don't see anything of you nowadays. Pollyanna laughed. Mr. Pendleton was such a funny man. I thought you didn't like to have folks round, she said. He made a wry face. Oh, but that was before you taught me to play that wonderful game of yours. Now I'm glad to be waited on, hand and foot. Never mind, I'll be on my own two feet yet one of these days. Then I'll see who steps round, he finished, picking up one of the crutches at his side and shaking it playfully at the little girl. They were sitting in the great library today. Oh, but you aren't really glad at all for those things. You just say you are, pouted Pollyanna, her eyes on the dog, dozing before the fire. You know you don't play the game right ever, Mr. Pendleton. You know you don't. The man's face grew suddenly very grave. That's why I want you, little girl, to help me play it. Will you come? Pollyanna turned in surprise. Mr. Pendleton, you don't really mean that. But I do. I want you. Will you come? Pollyanna looked distressed. Why, Mr. Pendleton, I can't. You know I can't. Why, I'm Aunt Polly's. A quick something crossed the man's face that Pollyanna could not quite understand. His head came up almost fiercely. You're no more hers than... Perhaps she would let you come to me. 
he finished more gently. Would you come, if she did? Pollyanna frowned in deep thought. But Aunt Polly has been so good to me, she began slowly. And she took me in when I didn't have anybody left but the lady's aid, and... Again, that spasm of something crossed the man's face. But this time, when he spoke, his voice was low and very sad. Pollyanna, long years ago, I loved somebody very much. I hoped to bring her some day to this house. I pictured how happy we'd be together in our home all the long years to come. Yes, pitied Pollyanna, her eyes shining with sympathy. But, well, I didn't bring her here. Never mind why. I just didn't, that's all. And ever since then, this great gray pile of stone has been a house, never a home. It takes a woman's hand and heart, or a child's presence, to make a home, Pollyanna. And I have not had either. Now will you come, my dear? Pollyanna sprang to her feet. Her face was fairly illumined. Mr. Pendleton, you... You mean that you wish you... You had had that woman's hand and heart all this time? Why, yes, Pollyanna. Oh, I'm so glad. Then it's all right, sighed the little girl. Oh, I'm so glad. Then it's all right, sighed the little girl. Now you can take us both, and everything will be lovely. Take you both, repeated the man dazedly. A faint doubt crossed Pollyanna's countenance. Well, of course, Aunt Polly isn't won over yet, but I'm sure she will be if you tell it to her, just as you did to me, and then we both come, of course. A look of actual terror leapt to the man's eyes. Aunt Polly, come here! Pollyanna's eyes widened a little. Would you rather go there? she asked. Of course, the house isn't quite so pretty, but it's nearer. Pollyanna, what are you talking about? asked the man very gently now. Why, about where we're going to live, of course, rejoined Pollyanna in obvious surprise. I thought you meant here at first. You said it was here that you had wanted Aunt Polly's hand and heart all these years to make a home, and... An inarticulate cry came from the man's throat. He raised his hand and began to speak, but the next moment he dropped his hand nervelessly at his side. "'The doctor, sir,' said the maid in the doorway. Pollyanna rose at once. John Pendleton turned to her feverishly. "'Pollyanna, for heaven's sake, say nothing of what I asked you, yet!' he begged in a low voice. Pollyanna dimpled into a sunny smile. Of course not, 
just as if I didn't know you'd rather tell her yourself, she called back merrily over her shoulder. John Pendleton fell limply back in his chair. Why, what's up? demanded the doctor a minute later, his fingers on his patient's galloping pulse. A whimsical smile trembled on John Pendleton's lips. Overdose of your tonic, I guess, he laughed, as he noted the doctor's eyes following Pollyanna's little figure down the driveway. End of chapter 19 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 20 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl Chapter 20 Which is More Surprising Sunday mornings, Pollyanna usually attended church and Sunday school. Sunday afternoons, she frequently went for a walk with Nancy. She had planned one for the day after her Saturday afternoon visit to Mr. John Pendleton, but on the way home from Sunday school, Dr. Chilton overtook her in his gig and brought his horse to a stop. "'Suppose you let me drive you home, Pollyanna,' he suggested. I want to speak to you a minute. I was just driving out to your place to tell you, he went on as Pollyanna settled herself at his side. Mr. Pendleton sent a special request for you to go see him this afternoon. Sure. He says it's very important. Pollyanna nodded happily. Yes, it is. I know. I'll go. The doctor eyed her with some surprise. I'm not sure I shall let you after all, he declared, his eyes twinkling. You seemed more upsetting than soothing yesterday, young lady. Pollyanna laughed. Oh, it wasn't me, truly. Not really, you know. Not so much as it was Aunt Polly. The doctor turned with a quick start. Your aunt, he ejaculated. Pollyanna gave a happy little bounce in her seat. Yes, and it's so exciting and lovely. Just like a story, you know. I, I'm going to tell you, she burst out with sudden decision. He said not to mention it, but he wouldn't mind your knowing, of course. He meant not to mention it to her. Her? Yes, Aunt Polly. And, of course, he would want to tell her himself instead of having me to do it. Lovers, so. Lovers? As the doctor said the word, the horse started violently, as if the hand that held the reins had given them a sharp jerk. Yes, nodded Pollyanna happily. That's the story part, you see. I didn't know it till Nancy told me. She said Aunt Polly had a lover years ago, and they quarreled. She didn't know who it was at first, but we found out now. It's Mr. Pendleton, you know. The doctor relaxed suddenly. The hand holding the reins fell limply to his lap. Oh, no, I didn't know, he said quietly. Pollyanna hurried on. They were nearing the Harrington homestead. 
Yes, and I'm so glad now. It's come out lovely. Mr. Pendleton asked me to come and live with him. But of course I wouldn't leave Aunt Polly like that, after she's been so good to me. Then he told me all about the woman's hand and heart that he used to want. And I found out that he wanted it now, and I was so glad. For of course if he wants to make up the quarrel, everything will be all right now. And Aunt Polly and I will both go to live there, or else he'll come to live with us. Of course, Aunt Polly doesn't know yet, and we haven't got everything settled, so I suppose that is why he wanted to see me this afternoon, sure. The doctor sat suddenly erect. There was an odd smile on his lips. Yes, I can well imagine that Mr. John Pendleton does want to see you, Pollyanna. He nodded as he pulled his horse to a stop before the door. There's Aunt Polly now in the window, cried Pollyanna. Then a second later, I know she isn't, but I thought I saw her. No, she isn't there now, said the doctor. His lips had suddenly lost their smile. Pollyanna found a very nervous John Pendleton waiting for her that afternoon. Pollyanna, he began at once. I've been trying all night to puzzle out what you meant by all that yesterday, about my wanting your Aunt Polly's hand and heart here all those years. What did you mean? Why, because you were lovers, you know, once, and I was so glad you still felt that way now. Lovers? Your Aunt Polly and I? At the obvious surprise in the man's voice, Pollyanna opened wide her eyes. Why, Mr. Pendleton, Nancy said you were. The man gave a short little laugh. Indeed. Well, I'm afraid I shall have to say that Nancy didn't know. Then you weren't lovers? Pollyanna's voice was tragic with dismay. Never? And it isn't all coming out like a book? There was no answer. The man's eyes were moodily fixed out the window. Oh, dear. And it was all going so splendidly, almost sobbed Pollyanna. I'd have been so glad to come with Aunt Polly. And you won't now? The man asked the question without turning his head. Of course not. I'm Aunt Polly's. The man turned now, almost fiercely. Before you were hers, Pollyanna, you were your mother's. And it was your mother's hand and heart that I wanted long years ago. My mother's? Yes. I had not meant to tell you, but perhaps it's better after all that I do, now. John Pendleton's face had grown very white. He was speaking with evident difficulty. Pollyanna, her eyes wide and frightened and her lips parted, was gazing at him fixedly. I loved your mother, 
but she didn't love me. And after a time she went away with your father. I did not know until then how much I did care. The whole world suddenly seemed to turn black under my fingers and... But never mind. For long years I have been a cross, crabbed, unlovable, unloved old man, though I'm not nearly sixty yet, Pollyanna. Then, one day, like one of the prisms that you love so well, little girl, you danced into my life and flecked my dreary old world with dashes of the purple and gold and scarlet of your own bright cheeriness. I found out after a time who you were, and, and I thought that I never wanted to see you again. I didn't want to be reminded of your mother. But you know how that came out. I just had to have you come. And now I want you always. Pollyanna, won't you come now? But Mr. Pendleton, I... There's Aunt Polly. Pollyanna's eyes were blurred with tears. The man made an impatient gesture. What about me? How do you suppose I'm going to be glad about anything without you? Why, Pollyanna, it's only since you came that I've been even half glad to live. But if I had you for my own little girl, I'd be glad for anything. And I'd try to make you glad too, my dear. You shouldn't have a wish ungratified. All my money to the last cent should go to make you happy. Pollyanna looked shocked. Why, Mr. Pendleton, as if I'd let you spend it on me. All that money you saved for the heathen. A dull red came to the man's face. He started to speak, but Pollyanna was still talking. Besides, anybody with such a lot of money as you have doesn't need me to make you glad about things. You're making other folks so glad giving them things that you just can't help being glad yourself. Why, look at those prisms you gave Mrs. Snow and me. And the gold piece you gave Nancy on her birthday and... Yes, yes, never mind about all that, interrupted the man. His face was very, very red now. And no wonder, perhaps... It was not forgiving things that John Pendleton had been best known in the past. That's all nonsense. T'wasn't much anyhow. But what there was, was because of you. You gave those things, not I. Yes, you did, he repeated, in answer to the shocked denial in her face. And that only goes to prove all the more how I need you, little girl, he added, his voice softening into tender pleading once more. If ever, ever I am to play the glad game, Pollyanna, you'll have to come and play it with me. The little girl's forehead puckered into a wistful frown. 
And Polly has been so good to me, she began. But the man interrupted her sharply. The old irritability had come back to his face. Impatience, which would brook no opposition, had been a part of John Pendleton's nature too long to yield very easily now to restraint. Of course she's been good to you. But she doesn't want you, I'll warrant, half so much as I do, he contested. Why, Mr. Pendleton, she's glad I know to have... Glad, interrupted the man, thoroughly losing his patience now. I'll wager Miss Polly doesn't know how to be glad for anything. Oh, she does her duty, I know. She's a very dutiful woman. I've had experience with her duty before. I'll acknowledge we haven't been the best of friends for the last fifteen or twenty years, but I know her. Everyone knows her. And she isn't the glad kind, Pollyanna. She doesn't know how to be. As for your coming to me, you just ask her and see if she won't let you come. And oh, little girl, little girl, I want you so. He finished brokenly. Pollyanna rose to her feet with a long sigh. All right, I'll ask her, she said wistfully. Of course, I don't mean that I wouldn't like to live here with you, Mr. Pendleton, but... She did not complete her sentence. There was a moment's silence. Then she added, Well, anyhow, I'm glad I didn't tell her yesterday. Because then I supposed she was wanted too. John Pendleton smiled grimly. Well, yes, Pollyanna. I guess it is just as well you didn't mention it yesterday. I didn't. Only to the doctor. And of course he doesn't count. The doctor? cried John Pendleton, turning quickly. Not Dr. Chilton? Yes. When he came to tell me you wanted to see me today, you know. Well, of all the... muttered the man, falling back in his chair. Then he sat up with sudden interest. And what did Dr. Chilton say? he asked. Pollyanna frowned thoughtfully. Why, I don't remember. Not much, I reckon. Oh, he did say he could well imagine you did want to see me. Oh, did he indeed? answered John Pendleton. And Pollyanna wondered why he gave that sudden, queer little laugh. End of chapter 20 Read by the Story Girl Chapter 21 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter 21 A Question Answered. The sky was darkening fast with what appeared to be an approaching thunder shower when Pollyanna hurried down the hill from John Pendleton's house. Halfway home, she met Nancy with an umbrella. 
By that time, however, the clouds had shifted their position, and the shower was not so imminent. "'Guess it's going round to the north,' announced Nancy, eyeing the sky critically. "'I thought twas all the time, but Miss Polly wanted me to come with this. She was worried about ye.' "'Was she?' murmured Pollyanna abstractedly, eyeing the clouds in her turn. Nancy sniffed a little. "'You don't seem to notice what I said,' she observed aggrievedly. "'I said your aunt was worried about ye.' "'Oh,' sighed Pollyanna, remembering suddenly the question she was so soon to ask her aunt. "'I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare her.' "'Well, I'm glad,' retorted Nancy unexpectedly. "'I am, I am.' Pollyanna stared. "'Glad that Aunt Polly was scared about me? "'Why, Nancy, that isn't the way to play the game, "'to be glad for things like that,' she objected. "'There want no game in it,' retorted Nancy. "'Never thought of it. "'You don't seem to sense what it means "'to have Miss Polly worried about you, child.' Why, it means worried, and worried is horrid to feel, maintained Pollyanna. What else can it mean? Nancy tossed her head. Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means she's at last getting down somewheres near human, like folks, and that she ain't just doing her duty by ye all the time. Why, Nancy demurred the scandalized Pollyanna. Aunt Polly always does her duty. She, she's a very dutiful woman. Unconsciously, Pollyanna repeated John Pendleton's words of half an hour before. Nancy chuckled. You're right, she is, and she always was, I guess. But she's something more now since you came. Pollyanna's face changed. Her brows drew into a troubled frown. There, that's what I was going to ask you, Nancy, she sighed. Do you think Aunt Polly likes to have me here? Would she mind if I wasn't here anymore? Nancy threw a quick look into the little girl's absorbed face. She had expected to be asked this question long before, and she had dreaded it. She had wondered how she should answer it, how she could answer it honestly without cruelly hurting the questioner. But now, now, in the face of the new suspicions that had become convictions by the afternoon's umbrella sending, Nancy only welcomed the question with open arms. She was sure that, with a clean conscience today, she could set the love-hungry little girl's heart at rest. Likes to have you here. Would she miss ye if you want here? cried Nancy indignantly. As if that weren't just what I was telling of ye. Didn't she send me post-haste with an umbrella cause she could see a little cloud in the sky? Didn't she make me tote your things all downstairs so you could have the pretty room you wanted? Why, Miss Pollyanna, when you remember how at first she hated to have, with a choking cough, 
Nancy pulled herself up just in time. And it ain't just things I can put my fingers on, neither, rushed on Nancy breathlessly. It's little ways she has that shows how you've been softening her up and mellowing her down. The cat and the dog and the way she speaks to me and, oh, lots of things. Why, Miss Pollyanna, there ain't no telling how she'd miss ye if you want here, finished Nancy, speaking with an enthusiastic certainty that was meant to hide the perilous admission she had almost made before. Even then, she was not quite prepared for the sudden joy that illumined Pollyanna's face. Oh, Nancy, I'm so glad, glad, glad. You don't know how glad I am that Aunt Polly wants me. As if I'd leave her now, thought Pollyanna as she climbed the stairs to her room a little later. I always knew I wanted to live with Aunt Polly, but I reckon maybe I didn't know quite how much I wanted Aunt Polly to want to live with me. The task of telling John Pendleton of her decision would not be an easy one, Pollyanna knew, and she dreaded it. She was very fond of John Pendleton, and she was very sorry for him, because he seemed to be so sorry for himself. She was sorry, too, for the long, lonely life that had made him so unhappy, and she was grieved that it had been because of her mother that he had spent those dreary years. She pictured the great, gray house as it would be after its master was well again, with its silent rooms, its littered floors, its disordered desk, and her heart ached for his loneliness. She wished that somewhere, someone might be found who... And it was at this point that she sprang to her feet with a little cry of joy at the thought that had come to her. As soon as she could, after that, she hurried up the hill to John Pendleton's house, and in due time she found herself in the great, dim library, with John Pendleton himself sitting near her, his long, thin hands lying idle on the arms of his chair, and his faithful little dog at his feet. Well, Pollyanna, is it to be the glad game with me all the rest of my life? asked the man gently. Oh, yes, cried Pollyanna. I've thought of the very gladdest kind of a thing for you to do, and... With you? asked John Pendleton, his mouth growing a little stern at the corners. No, but... Pollyanna, you aren't going to say no, interrupted a voice deep with emotion. I... I've got to, Mr. Pendleton. Truly I have. Aunt Polly... Did she refuse to let you come? I... I didn't ask her, stammered the little girl miserably. Pollyanna. Pollyanna turned away her eyes. She could not meet the hurt, grieved gaze of her friend. So you didn't even ask her? I couldn't, sir, truly, faltered Pollyanna. You see, I found out, 
without asking. Aunt Polly wants me with her, and, and I want to stay too, she confessed bravely. You don't know how good she's been to me, and, and I think, really, sometimes she's beginning to be glad about things. Lots of things. And you know she never used to be. You said it yourself. Oh, Mr. Pendleton, I couldn't leave Aunt Polly now. There was a long pause. Only the snapping of the wood fire in the grate broke the silence. At last, however, the man spoke. No, Pollyanna. I see. You couldn't leave her. Now, he said. I won't ask you again. The last word was so low it was almost inaudible. But Pollyanna heard. Oh, but you don't know about the rest of it, she reminded him eagerly. There's the very gladdest thing you can do. Truly there is. Not for me, Pollyanna. Yes, sir, for you. You said it. You said only a, a woman's hand and heart or a child's presence could make a home. And I can get it for you. A child's presence. Not me, you know, but another one. As if I would have any but you, resented an indignant voice. But you will, when you know. You're so kind and good. Why, think of the prisms and the gold pieces and all that money you save for the heathen and... Pollyanna, interrupted the man savagely. Once for all, let us end that nonsense. I've tried to tell you half a dozen times before. There is no money for the heathen. I never sent a penny to them in my life. There. He lifted his chin and braced himself to meet what he expected. The grieved disappointment of Pollyanna's eyes. To his amazement, however, there was neither grief nor disappointment in Pollyanna's eyes. There was only surprised joy. Oh, oh, she cried, clapping her hands. I'm so glad. That is, she corrected, coloring distressfully. I don't mean that I'm not sorry for the heathen. Only just now, I can't help being glad that you don't want the little India boys, because all the rest have wanted them. And I'm so glad you'd rather have Jimmy Bean. Now I know you'll take him. Take who? Jimmy Bean. He's the child's presence, you know, and he'll be so glad to be it. I had to tell him last week that even my lady's aide out west wouldn't take him, and he was so disappointed. But now, when he hears of this, he'll be so glad. Will he? Well, I won't, ejaculated the man decisively. Pollyanna, this is sheer nonsense. You don't mean... You won't take him. I certainly do mean just that. But he'd be a lovely child's presence, faltered Pollyanna. She was almost crying now. And you couldn't be lonesome with Jimmy round. I don't doubt it, rejoined the man. But I think I prefer the lonesomeness. 
It was then that Pollyanna, for the first time in weeks, suddenly remembered something Nancy had once told her. She raised her chin aggrievedly. Maybe you think a nice life, little boy, wouldn't be better than that old dead skeleton you keep somewhere, but I think it would. Skeleton? Yes. Nancy said you had one in your closet, somewhere. Why, what? Suddenly the man threw back his head and laughed. He laughed very heartily indeed, so heartily that Pollyanna began to cry from pure nervousness. When he saw that, John Pendleton sat erect very promptly. His face grew grave at once. Pollyanna, I suspect you are right. More right than you know, he said gently. In fact, I know that a nice, live little boy would be far better than my skeleton in the closet. Only, we aren't always willing to make the exchange. We are apt to still cling to our skeletons, Pollyanna. However, suppose you tell me a little more about this nice little boy. And Pollyanna told him. Perhaps the laugh cleared the air, or perhaps the pathos of Jimmy Bean's story, as told by Pollyanna's eager little lips, touched a heart already strangely softened. At all events, when Pollyanna went home that night, she carried with her an invitation for Jimmy Bean himself to call at the great house with Pollyanna the next Saturday afternoon. And I'm so glad, and I'm sure you'll like him, sighed Pollyanna as she said goodbye. I do so want Jimmy Bean to have a home, and folks that care, you know. End of chapter 21「Chapter Twenty Two of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter Twenty Two Sermons and Woodboxes. On the afternoon that Pollyanna told John Pendleton of Jimmy Bean, the Reverend Paul Ford climbed the hill and entered the Pendleton Woods hoping that the hushed beauty of God's out-of-doors would still the tumult that his children of men had wrought. The Reverend Paul Ford was sick at heart. Month by month, for a year past, conditions in the parish under him had been growing worse and worse, until it seemed that now, turn which way he would, he encountered only wrangling, backbiting, scandal, and jealousy. He had argued, pleaded, rebuked, and ignored by turns. And always and through all he had prayed, earnestly, hopefully. But today, miserably, he was forced to own that matters were no better, but rather worse. 
Two of his deacons were at sword's points over a silly something that only endless brooding had made of any account. Three of his most energetic women workers had withdrawn from the Ladies' Aid Society because a tiny spark of gossip had been fanned by wagging tongues into a devouring flame of scandal. The choir had split over the amount of solo work given to a fancidly preferred singer. Even the Christian Endeavor Society was in a ferment of unrest owing to open criticism of two of its officers. As to the Sunday school, it had been the resignation of its superintendent and two of its teachers that had been the last straw, and that had sent the harassed minister to the quiet woods for prayer and meditation. Under the green arch of the trees, the Reverend Paul Ford faced the thing squarely. To his mind, the crisis had come. Something must be done and done at once. The entire work of the church was at a standstill. The Sunday services, the weekday prayer meeting, the missionary teas, even the suppers and socials were becoming less and less well attended. True, a few conscientious workers were still left, but they pulled at cross purposes usually, and always they showed themselves to be acutely aware of the critical eyes all about them and of the tongues that had nothing to do but to talk about what the eyes saw. And because of all this, the Reverend Paul Ford understood very well that he, God's minister, the church, the town, and even Christianity itself was suffering, and must suffer still more unless... Clearly something must be done, and done at once. But what... Slowly the minister took from his pocket the notes he had made for his next Sunday sermon. Frowningly he looked at them. His mouth settled into stern lines as aloud, very impressively, he read the verses on which he had determined to speak. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye, these ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. It was a bitter denunciation. In the green aisles of the woods, the minister's deep voice rang out with scathing effect. Even the birds and squirrels seemed hushed into awed silence. It brought to the minister a vivid realization of how those words would sound the next Sunday when he should utter them before his people 
in the sacred hush of the church. His people. They were his people. Could he do it? Dare he do it? Dare he not do it? It was a fearful denunciation, even without the words that would follow, his own words. He had prayed and prayed. He had pleaded earnestly for help, for guidance. He longed, oh, how earnestly he longed, to take now in this crisis the right step. But was this the right step? Slowly the minister folded the papers and thrust them back into his pocket. Then, with a sigh that was almost a moan, he flung himself down at the foot of a tree and covered his face with his hands. It was there that Pollyanna, on her way home from the Pendleton house, found him. With a little cry, she ran forward. Oh, oh, Mr. Ford, you, you haven't broken your leg or, or anything, have you? She gasped. The minister dropped his hands and looked up quickly. He tried to smile. No, dear. No, indeed. I'm just resting. Oh, sighed Pollyanna, falling back a little. That's all right, then. You see, Mr. Pendleton had broken his leg when I found him, but he was lying down, though, and you were sitting up. Yes, I am sitting up, and I haven't broken anything that doctors commend. The last words were very low, but Pollyanna heard them. A swift change crossed her face. Her eyes glowed with tender sympathy. I know what you mean. Something plagues you. Father used to feel like that, lots of times. I reckon ministers do, most generally. You see, there's such a lot depends on them somehow. The Reverend Paul Ford turned a little wonderingly. Was your father a minister, Pollyanna? Yes, sir. Didn't you know? I supposed everybody knew that. He married Aunt Polly's sister, and she was my mother. Oh, I understand. But you see, uh, I haven't been here many years, so I don't know all the family histories. Yes, sir. I mean, no, sir, smiled Pollyanna. There was a long pause. The minister, still sitting at the foot of the tree, appeared to have forgotten Pollyanna's presence. He had pulled some papers from his pocket and unfolded them, but he was not looking at them. He was gazing instead at a leaf on the ground a little distance away, and it was not even a pretty leaf. It was brown and dead. Pollyanna, looking at him, felt vaguely sorry for him. It, it's a nice day she began hopefully. For a moment, there was no answer. Then the minister looked up with a start. What? Oh, yes, it, it is a very nice day. And tisn't cold at all, either, 
even if tis October, observed Pollyanna, still more hopefully. Mr. Pendleton had a fire, but he said he didn't need it. It was just to look at. I like to look at fires, don't you? There was no reply this time, though Pollyanna waited patiently before she tried again by a new route. Do you like being a minister? The Reverend Paul Ford looked up now very quickly. Do I like... Why, what an odd question. Why do you ask that, my dear? Nothing. Only the way you looked. It made me think of my father. He used to look like that. Sometimes. Did he? The minister's voice was polite, but his eyes had gone back to the dried leaf on the ground. Yes, and I used to ask him just as I did you if he was glad he was a minister. The man under the tree smiled a little sadly. Well, what did he say? Oh, he always said he was, of course. But most always he said, too, that he wouldn't stay a minister a minute if twasn't for the rejoicing texts. The what? The Reverend Paul Ford's eyes left the leaf and gazed wonderingly into Pollyanna's merry little face. Well, that's what Father used to call him, she laughed. Of course, the Bible didn't name him that, but it's all those that begin, Be glad in the Lord, or Rejoice greatly, or Shout for joy, and all that, you know. Such a lot of them. Once, when Father felt specially bad, he counted them. There were eight hundred of them. Eight hundred? Yes, that told you to rejoice and be glad, you know. That's why Father named them the Rejoicing Texts. Oh. There was an odd look on the minister's face. His eyes had fallen to the words on the top paper in his hands. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And so your father liked those rejoicing texts, he murmured. Oh, yes, nodded Pollyanna emphatically. He said he felt better right away that first day he thought to count him. He said if God took the trouble to tell us 800 times to be glad and rejoice, he must want us to do it, some. And Father felt ashamed that he hadn't done it more. After that, they got to be such a comfort to him, you know, when things went wrong. When the ladies' aiders got to fight, I mean, when they didn't agree about something, corrected Pollyanna hastily. Why, it was those texts, too, Father said, that made him think of the game. He began with me on the crutches, but he said twas the rejoicing texts that started him on it. And what game might that be? asked the minister. About finding something and everything to be glad about, you know. As I said, he began with me on the crutches. And once more, Pollyanna told her story this time to a man who listened with tender eyes and understanding ears.
a little later pollyanna and the minister descended the hill hand in hand pollyanna's face was radiant pollyanna loved to talk and she had been talking now for some time there seemed to be so many many things about the game her father and the old home life that the minister wanted to know at the foot of the hill their ways parted and pollyanna down one road and the minister down another walked on alone in the reverend paul ford's study that evening the minister sat thinking near him on the desk lay a few loose sheets of paper his sermon notes under the suspended pencil in his fingers lay other sheets of paper blank his sermon to be but the minister was not thinking either of what he had written or of what he intended to write in his imagination he was far away in a little western town with a missionary minister who was poor sick worried and almost alone in the world but who was poring over the bible to find how many times his lord and master had told him to rejoice and be glad after a time, with a long sigh, the Reverend Paul Ford roused himself, came back from the far western town, and adjusted the sheets of paper under his hand. Matthew 23rd, 13 through 14 and 23, he wrote. Then, with a gesture of impatience, he dropped his pencil and pulled toward him a magazine left on the desk by his wife a few minutes before. Listlessly, his tired eyes turned from paragraph to paragraph, until these words arrested him. A father one day said to his son, Tom, who he knew had refused to fill his mother's woodbox that morning, Tom, I'm sure you'll be glad to go and bring in some wood for your mother. And without a word, Tom went. Why? Just because his father showed so plainly that he expected him to do the right thing. Suppose he had said, Tom, I overheard what you said to your mother this morning, and I'm ashamed of you. Go at once and fill that wood box. I'll warrant that wood box would be empty yet so far as Tom was concerned. On and on read the minister. A word here, a line there, a paragraph somewhere else. What men and women need is encouragement. Their natural resisting powers should be strengthened, not weakened. Instead of always harping on a man's faults, tell him of his virtues. Try to pull him out of his rut of bad habits. Hold up to him his better self, his real self that can dare and do and win out. The influence of a beautiful, helpful, hopeful character is contagious and may revolutionize a whole town. People radiate what is in their minds and in their hearts. If a man feels kindly and obliging, his neighbors will feel that way too before long. But if he scolds and scowls and criticizes, his neighbors will return scowl for scowl and add interest. When you look for the bad, expecting it, you will get it. When you know you will find the good, 
you will get that. Tell your son Tom you know he'll be glad to fill that wood box. Then watch him start, alert and interested. The minister dropped the paper and lifted his chin. In a moment he was on his feet, tramping the narrow room back and forth, back and forth. Later, some time later, he drew a long breath and dropped himself in the chair at his desk. God helping me, I'll do it, he cried softly. I'll tell all my Toms I know they'll be glad to fill that wood box. I'll give them work to do, and I'll make them so full of the very joy of doing it that they won't have time to look at their neighbors' wood boxes. And he picked up his sermon notes, tore straight through the sheets, and cast them from him, so that on one side of his chair lay, But woe unto you, and on the other, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, while across the smooth white paper before him his pencil fairly flew, after first drawing one black line through Matthew 23, 13-14, and 23. Thus it happened that the Reverend Paul Ford's sermon the next Sunday was a veritable bugle call to the best that was in every man and woman and child that heard it and its text was one of Pollyanna's shining 800. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. End of chapter 22。Chapter 23 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter 23 An Accident At Mrs. Snow's request, Pollyanna went one day to Dr. Chilton's office to get the name of a medicine which Mrs. Snow had forgotten. As it chanced, Pollyanna had never before seen the inside of Dr. Chilton's office. I've never been to your home before. This is your home, isn't it? She said, looking interestedly about her. The doctor smiled a little sadly. Yes, such as tis, he answered, as he wrote something on the pad of paper in his hand. But it's a pretty poor apology for a home, Pollyanna. They're just rooms, that's all. Not a home. Pollyanna nodded her head wisely. Her eyes glowed with sympathetic understanding. I know. It takes a woman's hand and heart, or a child's presence, to make a home, she said. Eh? The doctor wheeled about abruptly. Mr. Pendleton told me, nodded Pollyanna again. About the woman's hand and heart, or the child's presence, you know? Why don't you get a woman's hand and heart, Dr. Chilton? Or maybe you take Jimmy Bean, if Mr. Pendleton doesn't want him. Dr. Chilton laughed a little constrainedly. So Mr. Pendleton says it takes a woman's hand and heart to make a home, does he? He asked evasively. Yes, 
He says his is just a house, too. Why don't you, Dr. Chilton? Why don't I... what? The doctor had turned back to his desk. Get a woman's hand and heart. Oh, and I forgot. Pollyanna's face showed suddenly a painful color. I suppose I ought to tell you. It wasn't Aunt Polly that Mr. Pendleton loved long ago, and so we... we aren't going there to live. You see, I told you it was, but I made a mistake. I hope you didn't tell anyone, she finished anxiously. No, I didn't tell anyone, Pollyanna, replied the doctor a little queerly. Oh, that's all right then, sighed Pollyanna in relief. You see, you're the only one I told, and I thought Mr. Pendleton looked sort of funny when I said I'd told you. <laughs> Did he? The doctor's lips twitched. Yes, and of course he wouldn't want many people to know it, when t'wasn't true. But why don't you get a woman's hand and heart, Dr. Chilton? There was a moment's silence. Then, very gravely, the doctor said, They're not always to be had, for the asking, little girl. Pollyanna frowned thoughtfully. But I should think you could get em, she argued. The flattering emphasis was unmistakable. Thank you, laughed the doctor with uplifted eyebrows. Then, gravely again, I'm afraid some of your older sisters would not be quite so confident. At least they, they haven't shown themselves to be so obliging he observed. Pollyanna frowned again. Then her eyes widened in surprise. Why, Dr. Chilton, you don't mean... You didn't try to get somebody's hand and heart once, like Mr. Pendleton, and... and couldn't, did you? The doctor got to his feet a little abruptly. There, there, Pollyanna. Never mind about that now. Don't let other people's troubles worry your little head. Suppose you run back now to Mrs. Snow. I've written down the name of the medicine and the directions how she is to take it. Was there anything else? Pollyanna shook her head. No, sir. Thank you, sir, she murmured soberly as she turned toward the door. From the little hallway she called back, her face suddenly alight. Anyhow, I'm glad twasn't my mother's hand and heart that you wanted and couldn't get, Dr. Chilton. Goodbye. It was on the last day of October that the accident occurred. Pollyanna, hurrying home from school, crossed the road at an apparently safe distance in front of a swiftly approaching motor car. Just what happened, no one could seem to tell afterward. Neither was there any one found who could tell why it happened, or who was to blame that it did happen. Pollyanna, however, at five o'clock, was born, limp and unconscious, into the little room that was so dear to her. There, by a white-faced Aunt Polly and a weeping Nancy, she was undressed tenderly and put to bed. 
while from the village, hastily summoned by telephone, Dr. Warren was hurrying as fast as another motor car could bring him. And you didn't need to mourn look at her aunt's face. Nancy was sobbing to old Tom in the garden after the doctor had arrived and was closeted in the hushed room. You didn't need to mourn look at her aunt's face to see the twenty no duty that was eating her. Your hands don't shake and your eyes don't look as if you were trying to hold back the angel of death himself when you're just doing your duty, Mr. Tom. They don't, they don't. Is she hurt? Bad. The old man's voice shook. There ain't no telling, sobbed Nancy. She lay back that white and still she might easy be dead. But Miss Polly said she wasn't dead, and Miss Polly had ought to know if anyone would. She kept up such a listening and a feeling for her heartbeats and her breath. Couldn't you tell anything what it done to her? That... That... Old Tom's face worked convulsively. Nancy's lips relaxed a little. I wish you would call it something, Mr. Tom, and something good and strong, too. Drat it! To think of its running down our little girl. I always hated the evil-smelling things anyhow. I did, I did. But where is she hurt? I don't know. I don't know, moaned Nancy. There's a little cut on her blessed head, but it ain't bad. That ain't, Miss Polly says. She says she's afraid it's infernally she's hurt. A faint flicker came into old Tom's eyes. I guess you mean internally, Nancy, he said dryly. She's hurt infernally, all right. Plague take that automobile. But I don't guess Miss Polly'd be using that word all the same. Eh? Well, I don't know. I don't know, moaned Nancy with a shake of her head as she turned away. Seems as if I just couldn't stand it till that doctor gets out of there. I wish I had a washing to do. The biggest washing I ever see, I do, I do, she wailed, wringing her hands helplessly. Even after the doctor was gone, however, there seemed to be little that Nancy could tell Mr. Tom. There appeared to be no bones broken, and the cut was of slight consequence. But the doctor had looked very grave, had shaken his head slowly, and had said that time alone could tell. After he had gone, Miss Polly had shown a face even whiter and more drawn-looking than before. The patient had not fully recovered consciousness, but at present she seemed to be resting as comfortably as could be expected. A trained nurse had been sent for and would come that night. That was all. And Nancy turned sobbingly and went back to her kitchen. It was some time during the next forenoon that Pollyanna opened conscious eyes and realized where she was. Why, Aunt Polly, what's the matter? Isn't it daytime? Why don't I get up? She cried. Why, Aunt Polly, I can't get up, 
she moaned, falling back on the pillow after an ineffectual attempt to lift herself. No, dear, I wouldn't try that just yet, soothed her aunt quickly, but very quietly. But what is the matter? Why can't I get up? Miss Polly's eyes asked an agonized question of the white-capped young woman standing in the window, out of the range of Pollyanna's eyes. The young woman nodded. Tell her, the lips said. Miss Polly cleared her throat and tried to swallow the lump that would scarcely let her speak. You were hurt, dear, by the automobile last night. But never mind that now. Auntie wants you to rest and to go to sleep again. Hurt? Oh, yes. I... I ran. Pollyanna's eyes were dazed. She lifted her hand to her forehead. Why, it's... done up, and it... hurts. Yes, dear. But never mind. Just... Just rest. But Aunt Polly, I feel so funny. It's so bad. My legs feel so, so queer. Only they don't feel at all. With an imploring look into the nurse's face, Miss Polly struggled to her feet and turned away. The nurse came forward quickly. Suppose you let me talk to you now, she began cheerily. I'm sure I think it's high time we were getting acquainted, and I'm going to introduce myself. I am Miss Hunt, and I've come to help your aunt take care of you. And the very first thing I'm going to do is to ask you to swallow these little white pills for me. Pollyanna's eyes grew a bit wild. But I don't want to be taken care of. That is, not for long. I want to get up. You know I go to school. Can't I go to school tomorrow? From the window where Aunt Polly stood now, there came a half-stifled cry. Tomorrow? smiled the nurse brightly. Well, I may not let you out quite so soon as that, Miss Pollyanna. But just swallow these little pills for me, please, and we'll see what they'll do. All right, agreed Pollyanna, somewhat doubtfully. But I must go to school day after tomorrow. There are examinations then, you know. She spoke again a minute later. She spoke of school and of the automobile and of how her head ached but very soon her voice trailed into silence under the blessed influence of the little white pills she had swallowed. End of chapter 23 Read by the Story Girl Chapter 24 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by The Story Girl Chapter 24 John Pendleton Pollyanna did not go to school tomorrow, nor the day after tomorrow. 
Pollyanna, however, did not realize this, except momentarily, when a brief period of full consciousness sent insisting questions to her lips. Pollyanna did not realize anything, in fact, very clearly, until a week had passed. Then the fever subsided, the pain lessened somewhat, and her mind awoke to full consciousness. She had then to be told all over again what had occurred. "'And so it's hurt that I am, and not sick,' she sighed at last. "'Well, I'm glad of that.' "'Glad, Pollyanna?' asked her aunt, who was sitting by the bed. "'Yes. I'd so much rather have broken legs like Mr. Pendleton's than lifelong invalids like Mrs. Snow, you know. Broken legs get well, and lifelong invalids don't.' Miss Polly, who had said nothing whatever about broken legs, got suddenly to her feet and walked to the little dressing-table across the room. She was picking up one object after another now, and putting each down in an aimless fashion quite unlike her usual decisiveness. Her face was not aimless-looking at all, however. It was white and drawn. On the bed, Pollyanna lay blinking at the dancing band of colors on the ceiling, which came from one of the prisms in the window. "'I'm glad it isn't smallpox that ails me, too,' she murmured contentedly. "'That would be worse than freckles. "'And I'm glad tisn't whooping cough. "'I've had that, and it's horrid. "'And I'm glad tisn't appendicitis, nor measles, "'cause they're catching. "'Measles are, I mean. "'And they wouldn't let you stay here.' "'You seem to—' "'To be glad for a good many things, my dear,' faltered Aunt Polly, putting her hand to her throat as if her collar bound. Pollyanna laughed softly. "'I am. I've been thinking of em. Lots of em. All the time I've been looking up at that rainbow. I love rainbows. I'm so glad Mr. Pendleton gave me those prisms.' I'm glad of some things I haven't said yet. I don't know, but I'm most glad I was hurt. Pollyanna. Pollyanna laughed softly again. She turned luminous eyes on her aunt. Well, you see, since I have been hurt, you've called me dear lots of times, and you didn't before. I love to be called dear. By folks that belong to you, I mean. Some of the ladies' aiders did call me that, and of course that was pretty nice. But not so nice as if they had belonged to me, like you do. Oh, Aunt Polly, I'm so glad you belong to me. Aunt Polly did not answer. Her hand was at her throat again. Her eyes were full of tears. She had turned away and was hurrying from the room through the door by which the nurse had just entered. It was that afternoon that Nancy ran out to old Tom, who was cleaning harnesses in the barn. 
Her eyes were wild. Mr. Tom! Mr. Tom! Guess what's happened! She panted. You couldn't guess in a thousand years! You couldn't! You couldn't! Then I calculate I won't try, retorted the man grimly. Especially as I ain't got more'n ten to live anyhow, probably. You'd better tell me first off, Nancy. Well, listen then. Who do you suppose is in the parlor now with the mistress? Who, I say? Old Tom shook his head. There's no telling, he declared. Yes, there is. I'm telling. It's John Pendleton. Sure now. You're joking, girl. Not much I am, and me a-letting him in myself, crutches and all. And the team he come in, a-waitin' this minute at the door for him, just as if he want the cranky old crosspatch he is, would never talks to no one. Just think, Mr. Tom, him a-callin' on her. Well, why not? demanded the old man a little aggressively. Nancy gave him a scornful glance. As if you didn't know better than me, she derided. Eh? Oh, you needn't be so innocent, she retorted with mock indignation. You what led me wild goose chasing in the first place. What do you mean? Nancy glanced through the open barn door toward the house and came a step nearer to the old man. Listen, twas you that was telling me Miss Polly had a lover in the first place, wasn't it? Well, one day I thinks I finds two and two, and I puts them together and makes four. But it turns out to be five, and no four at all at all. With a gesture of indifference, old Tom turned and fell to work. If you're going to talk to me, you've got to talk plain horse sense, he declared testily. I never was no hand for figures. Nancy laughed. Well, it's this, she explained. I heard something that made me think him and Miss Polly was lovers. Mr. Pendleton? Old Tom straightened up. Yes. Oh, I know now. He wasn't. It was that blessed child's mother he was in love with, and that's why he wanted... But never mind that part, she added hastily, remembering just in time her promise to Pollyanna not to tell that Mr. Pendleton had wished her to come and live with him. Well, I've been asking folks about him some since, and I found out that him and Miss Polly hain't been friends for years, and that she's been hating him like poison, owing to the silly gossip that coupled their names together when she was eighteen or twenty. Yes, I remember, nodded old Tom. It was three or four years after Miss Jenny gave him the mitten and went off with the other chap. Miss Polly knew about it, of course, and was sorry for him, so she tried to be nice to him. Maybe she overdid it a little. She hated that minister chap, so it took off with her sister. At any rate, somebody begun to make trouble. They said she was running after him. Running after any man? Her? interjected Nancy. 
I know it, but they did, declared old Tom. And of course no gal of any spunkle stand that. Then about that time come her own lover and the trouble with him. After that she shut up like an oyster, and wouldn't have nothing to do with nobody for a spell. Her heart just seemed to turn bitter at the core. Yes, I know. I've heard about that now, rejoined Nancy. And that's why you could have knocked me down with a feather when I see him at the door. Him what she hain't spoke to for years. But I let him in and went and told her. What did she say? Old Tom held his breath suspended. Nothing. At first. She was so still, I thought she hadn't heard. And I was just going to say it over when she speaks up quiet-like. Tell Mr. Pendleton I will be down at once. And I come down and told him. Then I come out here and told you, finished Nancy, casting another backward glance toward the house. Oh, grunted old Tom, and fell to work again. In the ceremonious parlor of the Harrington homestead, Mr. John Pendleton did not have to wait long before a swift step warned him of Miss Polly's coming. As he attempted to rise, she made a gesture of remonstrance. She did not offer her hand, however, and her face was coldly reserved. "'I called to ask for Pollyanna,' he began at once, a little brusquely. "'Thank you. She is about the same,' said Miss Polly. "'And that is... won't you tell me how she is?' His voice was not quite steady this time. A quick spasm of pain crossed the woman's face. "'I can't. I wish I could.' "'You mean you don't know?' "'Yes.' "'But the doctor?' Dr. Warren himself seems at sea. He is in correspondence now with a New York specialist. They have arranged for a consultation at once. But what were her injuries that you do know? A slight cut on the head, one or two bruises, and, and an injury to the spine which has seemed to cause paralysis from the hips down. A low cry came from the man. There was a brief silence, then huskily he asked, And Pollyanna, how does she take it? She doesn't understand at all how things really are. And I can't tell her. She must know something. Miss Polly lifted her hand to the collar at her throat in the gesture that had become so common to her of late. Oh, yes. She knows she can't move. But she thinks her legs are broken. She says she's glad it's broken legs like yours, 
rather than lifelong invalids like Mrs. Snow's. Because broken legs get well, and the other doesn't. She talks like that all the time until it, it seems as if I should die. Through the blur of tears in his own eyes, the man saw the drawn face opposite, twisted with emotion. Involuntarily, his thoughts went back to what Pollyanna had said when he had made his final plea for her presence. Oh, I couldn't leave Aunt Polly now. It was this thought that made him ask very gently, as soon as he could control his voice. I wonder if you know, Miss Harrington, how hard I tried to get Pollyanna to come and live with me. With you? Pollyanna? The man winced a little at the tone of her voice, but his own voice was still impersonally cool when he spoke again. Yes. I wanted to adopt her. Legally, you understand. Making her my heir, of course. The woman in the opposite chair relaxed a little. It came to her suddenly... What a brilliant future it would have meant for Pollyanna, this adoption. And she wondered if Pollyanna were old enough and mercenary enough to be tempted by this man's money and position. I am very fond of Pollyanna, the man was continuing. I am fond of her both for her own sake and for her mother's. I stood ready to give Pollyanna the love that had been twenty-five years in storage. Love. Miss Polly remembered suddenly why she had taken this child in the first place. And with the recollection came the remembrance of Pollyanna's own words, uttered that very morning, I love to be called dear by folks that belong to you. And it was this love-hungry little girl that had been offered the stored-up affection of twenty-five years. And she was old enough to be tempted by love. With a sinking heart, Miss Polly realized that. With a sinking heart, too, she realized something else. The dreariness of her own future now, without Pollyanna. Well, she said, and the man, recognizing the self-control that vibrated through the harshness of the tone, smiled sadly. She would not come, he answered. Why? She would not leave you. She said you had been so good to her. She wanted to stay with you. And she said she thought you wanted her to stay. He finished, as he pulled himself to his feet. He did not look toward Miss Polly. He turned his face resolutely toward the door. 
but instantly he heard a swift step at his side and found a shaking hand thrust toward him. When the specialist comes, and I know anything definite about Pollyanna, I will let you hear from me, said a trembling voice. Goodbye, and thank you for coming. Pollyanna will be pleased. End of chapter 24 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 25 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by The Story Girl Chapter 25 A Waiting Game on the day after John Pendleton's call at the Harrington homestead, Miss Polly set herself to the task of preparing Pollyanna for the visit of the specialist. "'Pollyanna, my dear,' she began gently, "'we have decided that we want another doctor besides Dr. Warren to see you. Another one might tell us something new to do, to help you get well faster, you know. A joyous light came to Pollyanna's face. "'Dr. Chilton! Oh, Aunt Polly, I'd so love to have Dr. Chilton. I've wanted him all the time, but I was afraid you didn't, on account of his seeing you in the sun-parlor that day, you know. So I didn't like to say anything. But I'm so glad you do want him.' Aunt Polly's face had turned white, then red, then back to white again. But when she answered, she showed very plainly that she was trying to speak lightly and cheerfully. "'Oh, no, dear. It wasn't Dr. Chilton at all that I meant. It is a new doctor. A very famous doctor from New York who, who knows a great deal about, about hurts like yours.' Pollyanna's face fell. I don't believe he knows half so much as Dr. Chilton. Oh, yes, he does, I'm sure, dear. But it was Dr. Chilton who doctored Mr. Pendleton's broken leg, Aunt Polly. If, if you don't mind very much, I would like to have Dr. Chilton. Truly, I would. A distressed color suffused Miss Polly's face. For a moment she did not speak at all. Then she said gently, though yet with a touch of her old stern decisiveness, "'But I do mind, Pollyanna. I mind very much. I would do anything, almost anything for you, my dear. But I, for reasons which I do not care to speak of now, I don't wish Dr. Chilton called in on, on this case.' And believe me, he cannot know so much about, about your trouble as this great doctor does who will come from New York tomorrow. Pollyanna still looked unconvinced. But Aunt Polly, if you loved Dr. Chilton— What, Pollyanna? Aunt Polly's voice was very sharp now. Her cheeks were very red, too. I say if you loved Dr. Chilton and didn't love the other one— sighed Pollyanna. 
seems to me that would make some difference in the good he would do and i love dr chilton the nurse entered the room at that moment and aunt polly rose to her feet abruptly a look of relief on her face i am very sorry pollyanna she said a little stiffly but i'm afraid you'll have to let me be the judge this time besides it's already arranged the new york doctor is coming to-morrow as it happened however the new york doctor did not come to-morrow at the last moment a telegram told of an unavoidable delay owing to the sudden illness of the specialist himself this led pollyanna into a renewed pleading for the substitution of dr chilton which would be so easy now you know but as before aunt polly shook her head and said no dear very decisively yet with a still more anxious assurance that she would do anything anything but that to please her dear pollyanna as the days of waiting passed one by one it did indeed seem that aunt polly was doing everything but that that she could do to please her niece i wouldn't a believed it you couldn't a made me believe it nancy said to old tom one morning there don't seem to be a minute in the day that miss polly ain't just hangin round waitin to do something for that blessed lamb if tain't more than to let in the cat and her what wouldn't let fluff nor buff upstairs for love nor money a week ago and now she lets em tumble all over the bed just cause it pleases miss pollyanna and when she ain't doin nothin else she's movin them little glass danglers round to different renders in the room so the sun'll make the rainbows dance as that blessed child calls it she's sent timothy down to cobb's greenhouse three times for fresh flowers and that besides all the posies fetched into her too and the other day if i didn't find her sittin for the bed with the nurse actually doin her hair and miss pollyanna lookin on and bossin from the bed her eyes all shinin and happy and i declare to goodness if miss polly hain't worn her hair like that every day now just to please that blessed child old tom chuckled well it strikes me miss polly herself ain't lookin none the worse for wearin them air curls round her forehead he observed dryly course she ain't retorted nancy indignantly she looks like folks now she's actually almost careful now nancy interrupted the old man with a slow grin you know what you said when i told you she was handsome once nancy shrugged her shoulders oh she ain't handsome of course but i will own up she don't look like the same woman what with the ribbons and lace jiggers miss pollyanna makes her wear round her neck i told you so nodded the man i told you she wa'n't old nancy laughed well i'll own up she hain't got quite so good an imitation of it as she did have for miss pollyanna come say mr tom who was her lover I hain't found that out yet. I hain't, I hain't. Hain't ye? 
asked the old man, with an odd look on his face. "'Well, I guess you won't then from me.' "'Oh, Mr. Tom, come on now,' wheedled the girl. "'You see, there ain't many folks here that I can ask.' "'Maybe not, but there's one, anyhow, that ain't answering,' grinned old Tom. Then abruptly the light died from his eyes. "'How is she today, the little gal?' Nancy shook her head. Her face, too, had sobered. "'Just the same, Mr. Tom. There ain't no special difference, as I can see. Or anybody, I guess. She just lays there and sleeps and talks some and tries to smile and be glad, cause the sun sets or the moon rises, or some other such thing, till it's enough to make your heart break with aching. I know. It's the game. Bless her sweetheart. Nodded old Tom, blinking a little. She told you, then, too, about that air game? Oh, yes. She told me long ago. The old man hesitated, then went on, his lips twitching a little. I was growling one day cause I was so bent up and crooked. And what do you suppose the little thing said? I couldn't guess. I wouldn't think she could find anything about that to be glad about. She did. She said I could be glad, anyhow, that I didn't have to stoop so far to do my weedin', cause I was already bent part way over. Nancy gave a wistful laugh. Well, I ain't surprised after all. You might know she'd find something. We've been playing it, that game, since almost the first, cause there wa'n't no one else she could play it with. Though she did speak of her aunt. Miss Polly. Nancy chuckled. I guess you hain't got such an awful different opinion of the mistress than I have, she bridled. Old Tom stiffened. I was only thinking twould be some of a surprise to her, he explained with dignity. Well, yes, I guess twould be. Then, retorted Nancy, I ain't saying what twould be now. I'd believe anything of the mistress now, even that she'd take to playing it herself. But ain't the little gal told her? Ever? She's told everyone else, I guess. I'm hearing of it everywhere now since she was herded, said Tom. Well, she didn't tell Miss Polly, rejoined Nancy. Miss Pollyanna told me long ago that she couldn't tell her cause her aunt didn't like her to have her talk about her father. And twas her father's game, and she'd have to talk about him if she did tell it. So she never told her. Oh, I see. I see. The old man nodded his head slowly. They was always bitter against the minister chap. All of em, cause he took Miss Jenny away from him. And Miss Polly, young as she was, 
couldn't never forgive him. She was that fond of Miss Jenny in them days. I see, I see. Twas a bad mess. He sighed as he turned away. Yes, twas. All round, all round. Sighed Nancy in her turn as she went back to her kitchen. For no one were those days of waiting easy. The nurse tried to look cheerful, but her eyes were troubled. The doctor was openly nervous and impatient. Miss Polly said little, but even the softening waves of hair about her face and the becoming laces at her throat could not hide the fact that she was growing thin and pale. As to Pollyanna, Pollyanna petted the dog, smoothed the cat's sleek head, admired the flowers and ate the fruits and jellies that were sent in to her, and returned innumerable cheery answers to the many messages of love and inquiry that were brought to her bedside. But she, too, grew pale and thin, and the nervous activity of the poor little hands and arms only emphasized the pitiful motionlessness of the once active little feet and legs, now lying so woefully quiet under the blankets. As to the game, Pollyanna told Nancy these days how glad she was going to be when she could go to school again, go to see Mrs. Snow, go to call on Mr. Pendleton, and go to ride with Dr. Chilton, nor did she seem to realize that all this gladness was in the future, not the present. Nancy, however, did realize it, and cry about it when she was alone. End of chapter 25 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 26 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter 26 A Door Ajar. Just a week from the time Dr. Mead, the specialist, was first expected, he came. He was a tall, broad shouldered man with kind gray eyes and a cheerful smile. Pollyanna liked him at once, and told him so. "'You look quite a lot like my doctor, you see,' she added engagingly. "'Your doctor?' Dr. Mead glanced in evident surprise at Dr. Warren, talking with the nurse a few feet away. Dr. Warren was a small, brown-eyed man with a pointed brown beard. "'Oh, that isn't my doctor.' smiled Pollyanna, divining his thought. Dr. Warren is Aunt Polly's doctor. My doctor is Dr. Chilton. Oh, said Dr. Mead, a little oddly, his eyes resting on Miss Polly, who with a vivid blush had turned hastily away. Yes. Pollyanna hesitated, then continued with her usual truthfulness. You see, I wanted Dr. Chilton all the time, but Aunt Polly wanted you. 
She said you knew more than Dr. Chilton, anyway, about... about broken legs, like mine. And, of course, if you do, I can be glad for that. Do you? A swift something crossed the doctor's face that Pollyanna could not quite translate. Only time can tell that, little girl, he said gently. Then he turned a grave face toward Dr. Warren, who had just come to the bedside. Everyone said afterward that it was the cat that did it. Certainly, if Fluffy had not poked an insistent paw and nose against Pollyanna's unlatched door, the door would not have swung noiselessly open on its hinges until it stood perhaps a foot ajar, and if the door had not been open, Pollyanna would not have heard her aunt's words. In the hall, the two doctors, the nurse, and Miss Polly stood talking. In Pollyanna's room, Fluffy had just jumped to the bed with a little purring meow of joy, when through the open door sounded clearly and sharply Aunt Polly's agonized exclamation. "'Not that! Doctor, not that! You don't mean the child will never walk again?' It was all confusion then. First, from the bedroom, came Pollyanna's terrified, "'Aunt Polly! Aunt Polly!' Then Miss Polly, seeing the open door and realizing that her words had been heard, gave a low little moan, and, for the first time in her life, fainted dead away. The nurse, with a choking, "'She hurt!' stumbled toward the open door. The two doctors stayed with Miss Polly. Dr. Meade had to stay. He had caught Miss Polly as she fell. Dr. Warren stood by helplessly. It was not until Pollyanna cried out again sharply and the nurse closed the door that the two men, with a despairing glance into each other's eyes, awoke to the immediate duty of bringing the woman in Dr. Meade's arms back to unhappy consciousness. In Pollyanna's room, the nurse had found a purring gray cat on the bed, vainly trying to attract the attention of a white-faced, wild-eyed little girl. "'Miss Hunt, please, I want Aunt Polly. I want her right away. Quick, please!' The nurse closed the door and came forward hurriedly. Her face was very pale. "'She... She can't come just this minute, dear. She will a little later. What is it? Can't I get it? Pollyanna shook her head. But I want to know what she said. Just now. Did you hear her? I want Aunt Polly. She said something. I want her to tell me tisn't true. Tisn't true. The nurse tried to speak, but no words came. Something in her face sent an added terror to Pollyanna's eyes. "'Miss Hunt, you did hear her. It is true. Oh, it isn't true. You don't mean I can't ever walk again?' 
there there dear don't don't choked the nurse perhaps he didn't know perhaps he was mistaken there's lots of things that could happen you know but aunt polly said he did know she said he knew more than anybody else about about broken legs like mine yes yes i know dear but all doctors make mistakes sometimes just just don't think any more about it now please don't dear pollyanna flung out her arms wildly but i can't help thinking about it she sobbed it's all there is now to think about why miss hunt how am i going to school or to see mr pendleton or mrs snow or or anybody she caught her breath and sobbed wildly for a moment suddenly she stopped and looked up a new terror in her eyes why miss hunt if i can't walk how am i ever going to be glad for anything miss hunt did not know the game but she did know that her patient must be quieted and that at once in spite of her own perturbation and heartache her hands had not been idle and she stood now at the bedside with the quieting powder ready there there dear just take this she soothed and by and by we'll be more rested and we'll see what can be done then things aren't half as bad as they seem dear lots of times you know obediently pollyanna took the medicine and sipped the water from the glass in miss hunt's hand i know that sounds like things father used to say faltered pollyanna blinking off the tears he said there was always something about everything that might be worse but i reckon he'd never just heard he couldn't ever walk again i don't see how there can be anything about that that could be worse do you miss hunt did not reply she could not trust herself to speak just then end of chapter 26 read by the story girl chapter 27 of pollyanna by eleanor h porter this librivox recording is in the public domain read by the story girl chapter 27 two visits it was nancy who was sent to tell mr john pendleton of dr meade's verdict miss polly had remembered her promise to let him have direct information from the house to go herself or to write a letter she felt to be almost equally out of the question it occurred to her then to send nancy there had been a time when nancy would have rejoiced greatly at this extraordinary opportunity to see something of the house of mystery and its master but to-day her heart was too heavy to rejoice at anything 
she scarcely even looked about her at all indeed during the few minutes she waited for mr john pendleton to appear i'm nancy sir she said respectfully in response to the surprised questioning of his eyes when he came into the room miss harrington sent me to tell you about miss pollyanna well in spite of the curt terseness of the word nancy quite understood the anxiety that lay behind that short well it ain't well mr pendleton she choked you don't mean he paused and she bowed her head miserably yes sir he says she can't walk again never for a moment there was absolute silence in the room then the man spoke in a voice shaken with emotion poor little girl poor little girl nancy glanced at him but dropped her eyes at once she had not supposed that sour cross stern john pendleton could look like that in a moment he spoke again still in the low unsteady voice it seems cruel never to dance in the sunshine again my little prism girl there was another silence then abruptly the man asked she herself doesn't know yet of course does she but she does sir sobbed nancy and that's what makes it all the harder she found out drat that cat i beg your pardon apologized the girl hurriedly it's only that the cat pushed open the door and miss pollyanna overheard him talking she found out that way poor little girl sighed the man again yes sir you'd say so sir if you could see her choked nancy i ain't seen her but twice since she knew about it and it done me up both times you see it's all so fresh and new to her and she keeps thinking all the time of new things she can't do now it worries her too cause she can't seem to be glad maybe you don't know about her game though broke off nancy apologetically the glad game asked the man oh yes she told me of that oh she did well i guess she has told it generally to most folks but you see now she she can't play it herself and it worries her she says she can't think of a thing not a thing about this not walking again to be glad about well why should she retorted the man almost savagely nancy shifted her feet uneasily that's the way i felt too till i happened to think it would be easier if she could find something you know so i tried to to remind her to remind her of what 
John Pendleton's voice was still angrily impatient. Of, of how she told others to play it, Miss Snow and the rest, you know, and what she said for them to do. But the poor little lamb just cries and says it don't seem the same somehow. She says it's easy to tell lifelong invalids how to be glad, but tain't the same thing when you're the lifelong invalid yourself and have to try to do it. She says she's told herself over and over again how glad she is that other folks ain't like her, but that all the time she's saying it, she ain't really thinking of anything, only how she can't ever walk again. Nancy paused, but the man did not speak. He sat with his hands over his eyes. Then I tried to remind her how she used to say the game was all the nicer to play when... when it was hard, resumed Nancy in a dull voice. But she says that, too, is different, when it really is hard. And I must be going now, sir, she broke off abruptly. At the door she hesitated, turned, and asked timidly, I couldn't be telling Miss Pollyanna that that you'd seen Jimmy Bean again, I suppose, sir, could I? I don't see how you could, as I haven't seen him, observed the man a little shortly. Why? Nothing, sir. Only, well, you see, that's one of the things that she was feeling bad about, that she couldn't take him to see you now. She said she'd taken him once, but she didn't think he showed off very well that day, and that she was afraid you didn't think he would make a very nice child's presence, after all. Maybe you know what she means by that? But I didn't, sir. Yes, I know what she means. All right, sir. It was only that she was wanting to take him again, she said, so's to show ye he really was a lovely child's presence. And now she can't drat that automobile. I beg your pardon, sir. Goodbye. And Nancy fled precipitately. It did not take long for the entire town of Beldingsville to learn that the great New York doctor had said Pollyanna Whittier would never walk again, and certainly never before had the town been so stirred. Everybody knew by sight now the piquant little freckled face that had always a smile of greeting, and almost everybody knew of the game that Pollyanna was playing. To think that now never again would that smiling face be seen on their streets, never again would that cheery little voice proclaim the gladness of some everyday experience. It seemed unbelievable, impossible, cruel. In kitchens and sitting-rooms and over backyard fences women talked of it, and wept openly. On street corners and in store lounging places the men talked too, and wept, though not so openly. 
and neither the talking nor the weeping grew less when fast on the heels of the news itself came nancy's pitiful story that pollyanna face to face with what had come to her was bemoaning most of all the fact that she could not play the game that she could not now be glad over anything it was then that the same thought must have in some way come to pollyanna's friends at all events almost at once the mistress of the harrington homestead greatly to her surprise began to receive calls calls from people she knew and people she did not know calls from men women and children many of whom miss polly had not supposed that her niece knew at all some came in and sat down for a stiff five or ten minutes some stood awkwardly on the porch steps fumbling with hats or handbags according to their sex some brought a book a bunch of flowers or a dainty to tempt the palate some cried frankly some turned their backs and blew their noses furiously but all inquired very anxiously for the little injured girl and all sent to her some message and it was these messages which after a time stirred miss polly to action first came mr john pendleton he came without his crutches to-day i don't need to tell you how shocked i am he began almost harshly but can nothing be done miss polly gave a gesture of despair oh we're doing of course all the time dr meade prescribed certain treatments and medicines that might help and dr warren is carrying them out to the letter of course but dr meade held out almost no hope john pendleton rose abruptly though he had but just come his face was white and his mouth was set into stern lines miss polly looking at him knew very well why he felt that he could not stay longer in her presence at the door he turned i have a message for pollyanna he said will you tell her please that i have seen jimmy bean and that he's going to be my boy hereafter tell her i thought she would be glad to know i shall adopt him probably for a brief moment miss polly lost her usual well-bred self-control you will adopt jimmy bean she gasped the man lifted his chin a little yes i think pollyanna will understand you will tell her i thought she would be glad why of of course faltered miss polly thank you bowed john pendleton as he turned to go in the middle of the floor miss polly stood silent and amazed still looking after the man who had just left her 
even yet she could scarcely believe what her ears had heard john pendleton adopt jimmy bean john pendleton wealthy independent morose reputed to be miserly and supremely selfish to adopt a little boy and such a little boy with a somewhat dazed face miss polly went upstairs to pollyanna's room pollyanna i have a message for you from mr john pendleton he has just been here he says to tell you he has taken jimmy bean for his little boy he said he thought you'd be glad to know it pollyanna's wistful little face flamed into sudden joy glad glad well i reckon i am glad oh aunt polly i've so wanted to find a place for jimmy and that's such a lovely place besides i'm so glad for mr pendleton too you see now he'll have the child's presence the what pollyanna colored painfully she had forgotten that she had never told her aunt of mr pendleton's desire to adopt her and certainly she would not wish to tell her now that she had ever thought for a minute of leaving her this dear aunt polly the child's presence stammered pollyanna hastily mr pendleton told me once you see that only a woman's hand and heart or a child's presence could make a a home and now he's got it the child's presence oh i see said miss polly very gently and she did see more than pollyanna realized she saw something of the pressure that was probably brought to bear on pollyanna herself at the time john pendleton was asking her to be the child's presence which was to transform his great pile of gray stone into a home i see she finished her eyes stinging with sudden tears pollyanna fearful that her aunt might ask further embarrassing questions hastened to lead the conversation away from the pendleton house and its master dr chilton says so too then it takes a woman's hand and heart or a child's presence to make a home you know she remarked miss polly turned with a start dr chilton how do you know that he told me so twas when he said he lived in just rooms you know not a home miss polly did not answer her eyes were out the window so i asked him why he didn't get em a woman's hand and heart and have a home pollyanna miss polly had turned sharply her cheeks showed a sudden color well i did he looked so so sorrowful what did he say miss polly asked the question as if in spite of some force within her that was urging her not to ask it 
He didn't say anything for a minute. Then he said very low that you couldn't always get him for the asking. There was a brief silence. Miss Polly's eyes had turned again to the window. Her cheeks were still unnaturally pink. Pollyanna sighed. He wants one anyhow, I know, and I wish he could have one. Why, Pollyanna, how do you know? Because afterwards, on another day, he said something else. He said that low, too, but I heard him. He said that he'd give all the world if he did have one woman's hand and heart. Why, Aunt Polly, what's the matter? Aunt Polly had risen hurriedly and gone to the window. Nothing, dear. I was changing the position of this prism, said Aunt Polly whose whole face now was aflame. End of chapter 27 Recording by The Story Girl Chapter 28 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl Chapter 28 The Game and Its Players It was not long after John Pendleton's second visit that Milly Snow called one afternoon. Milly Snow had never before been to the Harrington homestead. She blushed and looked very embarrassed when Miss Polly entered the room. I, I came to inquire for the little girl, she stammered. You were very kind. She is about the same. How is your mother? rejoined Miss Polly, wearily. That is what I came to tell you. That is, to ask you to tell Miss Pollyanna, hurried on the girl, breathlessly and incoherently. We think it's so awful, so perfectly awful, that the little thing can't ever walk again. And after all she's done for us, too. For mother, you know, teaching her to play the game and all that. And when we heard how now she couldn't play it herself, poor little dear, I'm sure I don't see how she can either in her condition. And when we remembered all the things she'd said to us, we thought if she could only know what she had done for us, that it would help, you know, in her own case, about the game, because she could be glad... That is, a little glad. Milly stopped helplessly, and seemed to be waiting for Miss Polly to speak. Miss Polly had sat politely listening, but with a puzzled questioning in her eyes. Only about half of what had been said had she understood. She was thinking now that she always had known that Milly Snow was queer, but she had not supposed she was crazy. In no other way, however, could she account for this incoherent, illogical, unmeaning rush of words. When the pause came, she filled it with a quiet, I don't think I quite understand, Milly. Just what is it that you want me to tell my niece? 
"'Yes, that's it. I want you to tell her,' answered the girl feverishly. "'Make her see what she's done for us. Of course, she's seen some things because she's been there, and she's known Mother is different, but I want her to know how different she is. And me, too. I'm different. I've been trying to play it, the game, a little.' Miss Polly frowned. She would have asked what Milly meant by this game, but there was no opportunity. Milly was rushing on again with nervous volubility. You know, nothing was ever right before from Mother. She was always wanting them different. And really, I don't know as one could blame her much under the circumstances. But now she lets me keep the shades up and she takes interest in things how she looks and her nightdress and all that and she's actually begun to knit little things reins and baby blankets for fairs and hospitals and she's so interested and so glad to think she can do it and that was all miss pollyanna's doings you know cause she told mother she could be glad she'd got her hands and arms anyway and that made mother wonder right away why she didn't do something with her hands and arms and so she began to do something. To knit, you know. And you can't think what a different room it is now, what with the red and blue and yellow worsteds and the prisms in the window that she gave her. Why, it actually makes you feel better just to go in there now. And before I used to dread it awfully. It was so dark and gloomy, and Mother was so... so unhappy, you know. And so we want you to please tell Miss Pollyanna that we understand it's all because of her. And so we want you to please tell Miss Pollyanna that we understand it's all because of her. And please say we're so glad we know her that we thought maybe if she knew it, it would make her a little glad that she knew us. And, and that's all, sighed Milly rising hurriedly to her feet. "'You'll tell her?' "'Why, of course,' murmured Miss Polly, wondering just how much of this remarkable discourse she could remember to tell. These visits of John Pendleton and Milly Snow were only the first of many, and always there were the messages— the messages which were in some ways so curious that they caused Miss Polly more and more to puzzle over them. One day there was the little widow Benton. Miss Polly knew her well, though they had never called upon each other. By reputation she knew her as the saddest little woman in town, one who was always in black. Today, however, Mrs. Benton wore a knot of pale blue at the throat, though there were tears in her eyes. She spoke of her grief and horror at the accident. Then she asked diffidently if she might see Pollyanna. Miss Polly shook her head. I am sorry, but she sees no one yet. A little later, perhaps. Mrs. Benton wiped her eyes rose and turned to go. But after she had almost reached the hall door, she came back hurriedly. 
Miss Harrington, perhaps you'd give her a message? She stammered. Certainly, Mrs. Benton, I shall be very glad to. Still the little woman hesitated. Then she spoke. Will you tell her, please, that that I've put on this? She said, just touching the blue bow at her throat. Then, at Miss Polly's ill-concealed look of surprise, she added, The little girl has been trying for so long to make me wear some color that I thought she'd be glad to know I'd begun. She said that Freddy would be so glad to see it if I would. You know, Freddy's all I have now. The others of all... Mrs. Benton shook her head and turned away. If you'll just tell Pollyanna, she'll understand. And the door closed after her. A little later, that same day, there was the other widow. At least she wore widow's garments. Miss Polly did not know her at all. She wondered vaguely how Pollyanna could have known her. The lady gave her name as Mrs. Tarbell. "'I'm a stranger to you, of course,' she began at once. "'But I'm not a stranger to your little niece, Pollyanna. "'I've been at the hotel all summer, and every day I've had to take long walks for my health. "'It was on these walks that I've met your niece. "'She's such a dear little girl. "'I wish I could make you understand what she's been to me. "'I was very sad when I came up here.' and her bright face and cheery ways reminded me of my own little girl that I lost years ago. I was so shocked to hear of the accident, and then when I learned that the poor child would never walk again, and that she was so unhappy because she couldn't be glad any longer, the dear child, I just had to come to you. You were very kind, murmured Miss Polly. "'But it is you who are to be kind,' demurred the other. "'I... I want you to give her a message from me. Will you?' "'Certainly. Will you just tell her, then, that Mrs. Tarbell is glad now?' "'Yes, I know it sounds odd, and you don't understand, but if you'll pardon me, I'd rather not explain.' Sad lines came to the lady's mouth, and the smile left her eyes. Your niece will know just what I mean. And I felt that I must tell her. Thank you. And pardon me, please, for any seeming rudeness in my call, she begged as she took her leave. Thoroughly mystified now, Miss Polly hurried upstairs to Pollyanna's room. Pollyanna, do you know a Mrs. Tarbell? Oh, yes. I love Mrs. Tarbell. She's sick and awfully sad, and she's at the hotel and takes long walks. We go together. I mean, we used to. Pollyanna's voice broke, and two big tears rolled down her cheeks. 
Miss Polly cleared her throat hurriedly. "'Well, she's just been here, dear. She left a message for you. But she wouldn't tell me what it meant. She said to tell you that Mrs. Tarbell is glad now.' Pollyanna clapped her hands softly. "'Did she say that? Really? Oh, I'm so glad.' But, Pollyanna, what did she mean? Why, it's the game, and... Pollyanna stopped short, her fingers to her lips. Nothing much, Aunt Polly. That is, I can't tell it unless I tell other things that... that I'm not to speak of. It was on Miss Polly's tongue to question her niece further, but the obvious distress on the little girl's face stayed the words before they were uttered. Not long after Mrs. Tarbell's visit, the climax came. It came in the shape of a call from a certain young woman with unnaturally pink cheeks and abnormally yellow hair. A young woman who wore high heels and cheap jewelry a young woman whom Miss Polly knew very well by reputation, but whom she was angrily amazed to meet beneath the roof of the Harrington homestead. Miss Polly did not offer her hand. She drew back, indeed, as she entered the room. The woman rose at once. Her eyes were very red, as if she had been crying. Half defiantly, she asked if she might, for a moment... See the little girl, Pollyanna. Miss Polly said no. She began to say it very sternly, but something in the woman's pleading eyes made her add the civil explanation that no one was allowed yet to see Pollyanna. The woman hesitated. Then, a little brusquely, she spoke. Her chin was still at a slightly defiant tilt. "'My name is Mrs. Payson, Mrs. Tom Payson. "'I presume you've heard of me. "'Most of the good people in the town have. "'And maybe some of the things you've heard ain't true. "'But never mind that. "'It's about the little girl I came. "'I heard about the accident, and... "'And it broke me all up. "'Last week I heard how she couldn't ever walk again, and... "'and I wished I could give up my two uselessly well legs for hers. "'She'd do more good trotting around on em one hour "'than I could in a hundred years. "'But never mind that. "'Legs ain't always given to the ones who can make the best use of em, I notice.' "'She paused and cleared her throat. "'But when she resumed, her voice was still husky. "'Maybe you don't know it, but... I've seen a good deal of that little girl of yours. We live on the Pendleton Hill Road, and she used to go by often. Only she didn't always go by. She came in and played with the kids and talked to me and my man when he was home. She seemed to like it and to like us. She didn't know, I suspect, that her kind of folks don't generally call on my kind. Maybe if they did call more, Miss Harrington, there wouldn't be so many of my kind, she added with sudden bitterness. B 
be that as it may, she came. And she didn't do herself no harm, and she did do us good. A lot of good. How much she won't know. Nor can't know, I hope. Cause if she did, she'd know other things. That I don't want her to know. But it's just this. It's been hard times with us this year. In more ways than one. We've been blue and discouraged. My man and me, and ready for most anything. Was reckoning on getting a divorce about now. And letting the kids... Well, we didn't know what we would do with the kids. Then came the accident. And what we heard about the little girls never walking again. And we got to thinking how she used to come and sit on our doorstep and train with the kids and laugh and and just be glad. She was always being glad about something. And then one day she told us why. And about the game, you know. And tried to coax us to play it. Well, we've heard now that she's fretting her poor little life out of her because she can't play it no more, that there's nothing to be glad about. And that's what I came to tell her today, that maybe she can be a little glad for us, because we've decided to stick to each other and play the game ourselves. I knew she would be glad, because she used to feel kind of bad. That's things we said sometimes. Just how the game is going to help us, I can't say that I exactly see yet. But maybe Twill? Anyhow, we're going to try. Because she wanted us to. Will you tell her? Yes, I will tell her, promised Miss Polly a little faintly. Then, with sudden impulse, she stepped forward and held out her hand. "'And thank you for coming, Mrs. Payson,' she said simply. The defiant chin fell. The lips above it trembled visibly. With an incoherently mumbled something, Mrs. Payson blindly clutched at the outstretched hand, turned and fled." The door had scarcely closed behind her before Miss Polly was confronting Nancy in the kitchen. Nancy! Miss Polly spoke sharply. The series of puzzling, disconcerting visits of the last few days, culminating as they had in the extraordinary experience of the afternoon, had strained her nerves to the snapping point. Not since Miss Pollyanna's accident had Nancy heard her mistress speak so sternly. "'Nancy, will you tell me what this absurd game is that the whole town seems to be babbling about? And what, please, has my niece to do with it? Why does everybody from Millie Snow to Mrs. Tom Payson send word to her that they're playing it?' As near as I can judge, half the town are putting on blue ribbons, or stopping family quarrels, or learning to like something they never liked before, and all because of Pollyanna. I tried to ask the child herself about it, but I can't seem to make much headway, and of course I don't like to worry her, now. 
but from something i heard her say to you last night i should judge you were one of them too now will you tell me what it all means to miss polly's surprise and dismay nancy burst into tears it means that ever since last june that blessed child has just been making the whole town glad and now they're turning round and trying to make her a little glad too glad of what just glad that's the game miss polly actually stamped her foot there you go like all the rest nancy what game nancy lifted her chin she faced her mistress and looked her squarely in the eye i'll tell you ma'am it's a game miss pollyanna's father learned her to play she got a pair of crutches once in a missionary barrel when she was wanting a doll and she cried of course like any child would it seems twas then her father told her that there wasn't ever anything but what there was something about it that you could be glad about and that she could be glad about them crutches glad for crutches miss polly choked back a sob she was thinking of the helpless little legs on the bed upstairs yes that's what i said and miss pollyanna said that's what she said too but he told her she could be glad cause she didn't need em oh, cried miss polly and after that she said he made a regular game of it finding something and everything to be glad about and she said you could do it too and that you didn't seem to mind not having the doll so much cause you was so glad you didn't need the crutches and they called it the just being glad game that's the game ma'am she's played it ever since but how how miss polly came to a helpless pause and you'd be surprised to find how cute it works ma'am too maintained nancy with almost the eagerness of pollyanna herself i wish i could tell you what a lot she's done for mother and the folks out home she's been to see em you know twice with me she's made me glad too on such a lot of things little things and big things and it's made em so much easier for instance i don't mind nancy for a name half as much since she told me i could be glad twant hepzibah and there's monday mornings too that i used to hate so she's actually made me glad for monday mornings glad for monday mornings nancy laughed i know it does sound nutty ma'am but let me tell ye that blessed lamb found out i hated monday morning something awful and what does she up and tell me one day but this well anyhow nancy i should think you could be gladder on monday morning than on any other day in the week cause twould be a whole week before you'd have another one and i'm blessed if i ain't thought of it every monday morning since and it has helped ma'am it made me laugh anyhow every time i thought of it and laughing helps you know it does it does but why hasn't 
She told me. The game, faltered Miss Polly. Why has she made such a mystery of it when I asked her? Nancy hesitated. Begging your pardon, ma'am. You told her not to speak of her father. So she couldn't tell ye. "'Twas her father's game, you see?' Miss Polly bit her lip. "'She wanted to tell ye, first off,' continued Nancy, a little unsteadily. "'She wanted somebody to play it with, you know. "'That's why I begun it, so she could have someone.' "'And... and these others?' Miss Polly's voice shook now. Oh, everybody most knows it now, I guess. Anyhow, I should think they did from the way I'm hearing of it everywhere I go. Of course, she told a lot, and they told the rest. Then things go, you know, when they get started. And she was always so smiling and pleasant to everyone, and so... so just glad herself all the time, that they couldn't help knowing it anyhow. Now, since she's hurt, everybody feels so bad. Especially when they heard how bad she feels, cause she can't find anything to be glad about. And so they've been coming every day to tell her how glad she's made them, hoping that'll help some. You see, she's always wanted everybody to play the game with her. Well, I know somebody who will play it. Now choked Miss Polly, as she turned and sped through the kitchen doorway. Behind her, Nancy stood staring amazedly. "'Well, I'll believe anything. Anything now,' she muttered to herself. "'You can't stump me with anything I wouldn't believe now. A Miss Polly.' A little later, in Pollyanna's room, the nurse left Miss Polly and Pollyanna alone together. "'And you've had still another caller today, my dear,' announced Miss Polly, in a voice she vainly tried to steady. "'Do you remember Mrs. Payson?' "'Mrs. Payson? Why, I reckon I do. She lives on the way to Mr. Pendleton's, and she's got the prettiest little girl baby, three years old.' and a boy most five. She's awfully nice, and so's her husband. Only they don't seem to know how nice each other is. Sometimes they fight. I mean, they don't quite agree. They're poor, too, they say, and of course they don't ever have barrels, cause he isn't a missionary minister, you know, like... Well, he isn't. A faint color stole into Pollyanna's cheeks, which was duplicated suddenly in those of her aunt. "'But she wears real pretty clothes sometimes, in spite of their being so poor,' resumed Pollyanna, in some haste. "'And she's got perfectly beautiful rings with diamonds and rubies and emeralds in them. But she says she's got one ring too many, and that she's going to throw it away and get a divorce instead.' "'What is a divorce, Aunt Polly? "'I'm afraid it isn't very nice, "'because she didn't look happy when she talked about it. "'And she said if she did get it, 
they wouldn't live there anymore, and that Mr. Payson would go way off, and maybe the children, too. But I should think they'd rather keep the ring, even if they did have so many more. Shouldn't you? Aunt Polly, what is a divorce? But they aren't going way off, dear, evaded Aunt Polly hurriedly. They're going to stay right there together. Oh, I'm so glad. Then they'll be there when I go up to see... Oh, dear, broke off the little girl miserably. And Polly, why can't I remember that my legs don't go anymore? And then I won't ever, ever go up to see Mr. Pendleton again. There, there, don't, choked her aunt. Perhaps you'll drive up some time. But listen, I haven't told you yet all that Mrs. Payson said. She wanted me to tell you that they... They were going to stay together and to play the game, just as you wanted them to. Pollyanna smiled through tear-wet eyes. Did they? Did they really? Oh, I am glad of that. Yes. She said she hoped you'd be. That's why she told you. To make you glad, Pollyanna. Pollyanna looked up quickly. Why, Aunt Polly, you... You spoke just as if you knew. Do you know about the game, Aunt Polly? Yes, dear. Miss Polly sternly forced her voice to be cheerfully matter-of-fact. Nancy told me. I think it's a beautiful game. I'm going to play it now. With you. Oh, Aunt Polly! You? I'm so glad! You see, I've really wanted you, most of anybody, all the time. Aunt Polly caught her breath a little sharply. It was even harder this time to keep her voice steady, but she did it. Yes, dear. And there were all those others, too. Why, Pollyanna, I think all the town is playing that game now with you, even to the minister. I haven't had a chance to tell you yet. But this morning I met Mr. Ford when I was down to the village, and he told me to say to you that just as soon as you could see him, he was coming to tell you that he hadn't stopped being glad over those eight hundred rejoicing texts that you told him about. So you see, dear, it's just you that have done it. The whole town is playing the game, and the whole town is wonderfully happier and all because of one little girl who taught the people a new game and how to play it. Pollyanna clapped her hands. Oh, I'm so glad, she cried. Then suddenly a wonderful light illumined her face. Why, Aunt Polly, there is something I can be glad about after all. I can be glad I've had my legs, anyway. Else I couldn't have done that. 
End of Chapter 28 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 29 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl Chapter 29 Through an Open Window One by one the short winter days came and went. But they were not short to Pollyanna. They were long and sometimes full of pain. Very resolutely these days, however, Pollyanna was turning a cheerful face toward whatever came. Was she not specially bound to play the game now that Aunt Polly was playing it too? And Aunt Polly found so many things to be glad about. It was Aunt Polly, too, who discovered the story one day about the two poor little waifs in a snowstorm who found a blown-down door to crawl under, and who wondered what poor folks did that didn't have any door. And it was Aunt Polly who brought home the other story that she had heard about the poor old lady who had only two teeth, but who was so glad that those two teeth hid. Pollyanna now, like Mrs. Snow, was knitting wonderful things out of bright, colored worsteds, that trailed their cheery lengths across the white spread, and made Pollyanna, again, like Mrs. Snow, so glad she had her hands and arms anyway. Pollyanna saw people now, occasionally, and always there were the loving messages from those she could not see, and always they brought her something new to think about, and Pollyanna needed new things to think about. Once she had seen John Pendleton, and twice she had seen Jimmy Bean. John Pendleton had told her what a fine boy Jimmy was getting to be, and how well he was doing. Jimmy had told her what a first-rate home he had, and what bang-up folks Mr. Pendleton made. And both had said that it was all owing to her. "'Which makes me all the gladder, you know, that I have had my legs.' Pollyanna confided to her aunt afterwards. The winter passed, and spring came. The anxious watchers over Pollyanna's condition could see little change wrought by the prescribed treatment. There seemed every reason to believe, indeed, that Dr. Mead's worst fears would be realized, that Pollyanna would never walk again. Beldingsville, of course, kept itself informed concerning Pollyanna, and of Beldingsville one man in particular fumed and fretted himself into a fever of anxiety over the daily bulletins which he managed in some way to procure from the bed of suffering. As the days passed, however, and the news came to be no better, but rather worse, something besides anxiety began to show in the man's face despair, and a very dogged determination, each fighting for the mastery. In the end, the dogged determination won, and it was then that Mr. John Pendleton, somewhat to his surprise, received one Saturday morning a call from Dr. Thomas Chilton. Pendleton, 
began the doctor abruptly. I've come to you because you, better than anyone else in town, know something of my relations with Miss Polly Harrington. John Pendleton was conscious that he must have started visibly. He did know something of the affair between Polly Harrington and Thomas Chilton, but the matter had not been mentioned between them for fifteen years or more. Yes, he said, trying to make his voice sound concerned enough for sympathy and not eager enough for curiosity. In a moment he saw that he need not have worried, however. The doctor was quite too intent on his errand to notice how that errand was received. Pendleton, I want to see that child. I want to make an examination. I must make an examination. Well, can't you? Can't I? Pendleton, you know very well I haven't been inside that door for more than fifteen years. You don't know, but I will tell you, that the mistress of that house told me that the next time she asked me to enter it, I might take it that she was begging my pardon, and that all would be as before, which meant that she'd marry me. Perhaps you see her summoning me now, but I don't. "'But couldn't you go without a summons?' "'The doctor frowned. "'Well, hardly. "'I have some pride, you know.' "'But if you're so anxious, "'couldn't you swallow your pride and forget the quarrel? "'Forget the quarrel!' "'interrupted the doctor savagely. "'I'm not talking of that kind of pride. "'So far as that is concerned, "'I'd go from here, there, on my knees.' or on my head, if that would do any good. It's professional pride I'm talking about. It's a case of sickness, and I'm a doctor. I can't butt in and say, Here, take me. Can I? Chilton, what was the quarrel? demanded Pendleton. The doctor made an impatient gesture and got to his feet. What was it? "'What's any lover's quarrel after it's over?' he snarled, pacing the room angrily. "'A silly wrangle over the size of the moon or the depth of a river, maybe. "'It might as well be, so far as it's having any real significance compared to the years of misery that follow them. "'Never mind the quarrel. "'So far as I am concerned, I am willing to say there was no quarrel. "'Pendleton, I must see that child.' It may mean life or death. It will mean, I honestly believe, nine chances out of ten that Pollyanna Whittier will walk again. The words were spoken clearly, impressively, and they were spoken just as the one who uttered them had almost reached the open window near John Pendleton's chair. Thus it happened that very distinctly they reached the ears of a small boy kneeling beneath the window on the ground outside. Jimmy Bean, at his Saturday morning task of pulling up the first little green weeds of the flower beds, sat up with ears and eyes wide open. Walk! Pollyanna! John Pendleton was saying. What do you mean? I mean that from what I can hear and learn— a mile from her bedside, 
that her case is very much like one that a college friend of mine has just helped. For years he's been making this sort of thing a special study. I've kept in touch with him, and studied too, in a way. And from what I hear... But I want to see the girl. John Pendleton came erect in his chair. You must see her, man. Couldn't you... Say, through Dr. Warren? The other shook his head. I'm afraid not. Warren has been very decent, though. He told me himself that he suggested consultation with me at the first, but Miss Harrington said no so decisively that he didn't dare venture it again, even though he knew of my desire to see the child. Lately, some of his best patients have come over to me... So, of course, that ties my hand still more effectually. But, Pendleton, I've got to see that child. Think of what it may mean to her if I do. Yes, and think of what it will mean if you don't, retorted Pendleton. But how can I, without a direct request from her aunt, which I'll never get? She must be made to ask you. How? I don't know. No, I guess you don't. Nor anybody else. She's too proud and too angry to ask me. After what she said years ago, it would mean if she did ask me. But when I think of that child, doomed to lifelong misery, and when I think that maybe in my hands lies a chance of escape... But for that confounded nonsense we call pride and professional etiquette, I... He did not finish his sentence, but with his hands thrust deep into his pockets, he turned and began to tramp up and down the room again, angrily. But if she could be made to see, to understand, urged John Pendleton. Yes, and who's going to do it? demanded the doctor with a savage turn. I don't know. I don't know, groaned the other, miserably. Outside the window, Jimmy Bean stirred suddenly. Up to now he had scarcely breathed, so intently had he listened to every word. Well, by jinx, I know, he whispered exultingly. I'm a-going to do it. And forthwith he rose to his feet crept stealthily around the corner of the house and ran with all his might down Pendleton Hill. End of chapter 29 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 30 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl. Chapter 30 Jimmy Takes the Helm. It's Jimmy Bean. He wants to see you, ma'am, announced Nancy in the doorway. Me, rejoined Miss Polly, plainly surprised. Are you sure he did not mean Miss Pollyanna? He may see her a few minutes today if he likes. Yes'm, I told him. But he said it was you he wanted. "'Very well, I'll come down,' 
and Miss Polly arose from her chair a little wearily. In the sitting-room she found waiting for her a round-eyed, flush-faced boy, who began to speak at once. "'Ma'am, I suppose it's dreadful, what I'm doing and what I'm saying, but I can't help it. It's for Pollyanna, and I'd walk over hot coals for her, or face you, or, or anything like that, any time. And I think you would, too, if you thought there was a chance for her to walk again. And so that's why I come to tell ye that as long as it's only pride and et, et something that's keeping Pollyanna from walking, why, I knew you would ask Dr. Chilton here if you understood— What? interrupted Miss Polly, the look of stupefaction on her face changing to one of angry indignation. Jimmy sighed despairingly. There, I didn't mean to make you mad. That's why I begun by telling you about her walking again. I thought you'd listen to that. Jimmy, what are you talking about? Jimmy sighed again. That's what I'm trying to tell ye. Well, then, tell me. But begin at the beginning and be sure I understand each thing as you go. Don't plunge into the middle of it as you did before and mix everything all up. Jimmy wet his lips determinedly. Well, to begin with, Dr. Chilton come to see Mr. Pendleton, and they talked in the library. Do you understand that? Yes, Jimmy. Miss Polly's voice was rather faint. Well, the window was open, and I was weeding the flower bed under it, and I heard him talk. Oh, Jimmy, listening? Twon't about me, and twon't sneak listening, bridled Jimmy. And I'm glad I listened. You will be when I tell ye. Why, it may make Pollyanna walk. Jimmy, what do you mean? Miss Polly was leaning forward eagerly. There, I told you so nodded Jimmy contentedly. Well, Dr. Chilton knows some doctor somewhere that can cure Pollyanna, he thinks. Make her walk, you know. But he can't tell sure till he sees her. And he wants to see her something awful, but he told Mr. Pendleton that you wouldn't let him. Miss Polly's face turned very red. But, Jimmy, I... I can't... I couldn't. That is... I didn't know. Miss Polly was twisting her fingers together helplessly. Yes, and that's what I come to tell ye, so you would know, asserted Jimmy eagerly. They said that for some reason, I didn't rightly catch what, you wouldn't let Dr. Chilton come, and you told Dr. Warren so, and Dr. Chilton couldn't come himself without you asked him on account of pride and professional ed... ed... Well, at something, anyway. And they was wishing somebody could make you understand, only they didn't know who could. And I was outside the window, and I says to myself right away, By jinx, I'll do it. And I come. And have I made you understand? Yes, but, Jimmy, about that doctor, implored Miss Polly feverishly. Who was he? What did he do? Are you sure he could make Pollyanna walk? I don't know who he was. They didn't say. Dr. Chilton knows him, and he's just cured somebody just like her, Dr. Chilton thinks. Anyhow, they didn't seem to be doing no worrying about him. 
"'Twas you they was worrying about, "'cause you wouldn't let Dr. Children see her. "'And say, you will let him come, won't you? "'Now you understand?' "'Miss Polly turned her head from side to side. "'Her breath was coming in little, uneven, rapid gasps. "'Jimmy, watching her with anxious eyes, "'thought she was going to cry.' But she did not cry. After a minute, she said brokenly, Yes, I'll let Dr. Chilton see her. Now run home, Jimmy, quick. I've got to speak to Dr. Warren. He's upstairs now. I saw him drive in a few minutes ago. A little later, Dr. Warren was surprised to meet an agitated, flush-faced Miss Polly in the hall. He was still more surprised to hear the lady say, a little breathlessly, Dr. Warren, you asked me once to allow Dr. Chilton to be called in consultation, and I refused. Since then I have reconsidered. I very much desire that you should call in Dr. Chilton. Will you not ask him at once? Please? Thank you. End of Chapter 30 Read by The Story Girl Chapter 31 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by The Story Girl. Chapter 31 A New Uncle. The next time Dr. Warren entered the chamber where Pollyanna lay, watching the dancing shimmer of color on the ceiling, a tall, broad shouldered man followed close behind him. Dr. Chilton! Oh, Dr. Chilton! "'How glad I am to see you!' cried Pollyanna. And at the joyous rapture of the voice, more than one pair of eyes in the room brimmed hot with sudden tears. "'But of course, if Aunt Polly doesn't want—' "'It is all right, my dear. Don't worry,' soothed Miss Polly, agitatedly hurrying forward. "'I have told Dr. Chilton that, that I want him to look you over.' with Dr. Warren this morning. "'Oh, then you asked him to come,' murmured Pollyanna contentedly. "'Yes, dear, I asked him. That is—' But it was too late. The adoring happiness that had leapt to Dr. Chilton's eyes was unmistakable, and Miss Polly had seen it. With very pink cheeks she turned and left the room hurriedly. Over in the window, the nurse and Dr. Warren were talking earnestly. Dr. Chilton held out both his hands to Pollyanna. Little girl, I'm thinking that one of the very gladdest jobs you ever did has been done today, he said in a voice shaken with emotion. At twilight, a wonderfully tremulous, wonderfully different Aunt Polly crept to Pollyanna's bedside. The nurse was at supper. They had the room to themselves. Pollyanna, dear, 
I'm going to tell you. The very first one of all. Some day I'm going to give Dr. Chilton to you for your uncle. And it's you that have done it all. Oh, Pollyanna, I'm so happy and so glad. Darling. Pollyanna began to clap her hands, but even as she brought her small palms together the first time, she stopped and held them suspended. Aunt Polly? Aunt Polly, were you the woman's hand and heart he wanted so long ago? You were. I know you were. And that's what he meant by saying I'd done the gladdest job of all, today. I'm so glad. Why, Aunt Polly, I don't know, but I'm so glad that I don't mind even my legs now. Aunt Polly swallowed a sob. Perhaps some day, dear. But Aunt Polly did not finish. Aunt Polly did not dare to tell yet the great hope that Dr. Chilton had put into her heart. But she did say this. And surely this was quite wonderful enough to Pollyanna's mind. Pollyanna, next week you're going to take a journey. On a nice, comfortable little bed, you're going to be carried in cars and carriages to a great doctor who has a big house many miles from here, made on purpose for just such people as you are. He's a dear friend of Dr. Chilton's, and we're going to see what he can do for you. End of chapter 31 Read by the Story Girl Chapter 32 of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by the Story Girl Chapter 32, which is a letter from Pollyanna. Dear Aunt Polly and Uncle Tom, Oh, I can, I can, I can walk. I did today all the way from my bed to the window. It was six steps. My, how good it was to be on legs again. All the doctors stood around and smiled and all the nurses stood beside of them and cried. A lady in the next ward, who walked last week first, peeked into the door, and another one, who hopes she can walk next month, was invited in to the party, and she laid on my nurse's bed and clapped her hands. Even Black Tilly, who washes the floor, looked through the piazza window and called me Honey Child when she wasn't crying too much to call me anything. I don't see why they cried. I wanted to sing and shout and yell. Oh, 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 just think. I can walk, walk, walk. Now I don't mind being here almost ten months. And I didn't miss the wedding anyhow. Wasn't that just like you, Aunt Polly, to come on here and get married right beside my bed so I could see you? You always do think of the gladdest things. Pretty soon, they say, I shall go home. I wish I could walk all the way there. I do. I don't think I shall ever want to ride anywhere any more. 
It will be so good just to walk. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad for everything. Why, I'm glad now I lost my legs for a while. For you never, never know how perfectly lovely legs are till you haven't got them. That go, I mean. I'm going to walk eight steps tomorrow with heaps of love to everybody. Pollyanna End of Chapter 32 Recording by The Story Girl End of Pollyanna by Eleanor H. Porter